Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kid line, you know, they got, they're all young guys that um, uh, Thomas and Cairo have played well uh, in the past together. So, and Jake Neighbors is a, he's a good complimentary player, in my opinion. Uh, does a lot of little things on the walls, going to the net, being around the net, heavy on pucks. So, um, you know, and I've, I've had the Russian line play together before and perform pretty well. That was Craig Berube at practice yesterday talking about his new line combinations alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN coming up in about 30 minutes or so. We'll talk about those line combinations with the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, Joey Vitale. Alex, here's what they looked like yesterday at practice. Shin, O'Reilly, and Achari on your top line. Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Tarasenko as your second line. And then they've got neighbors with Thomas and Kairou. I find these combinations to be interesting. And the reason why is because I think it's pretty simple what what Barubi is trying to do. Are they only rolling three lines tonight? Uh, fourth line's there, too. What was the fourth line? Torovchenko's there. And yeah! Who? Doesn't matter. Shin, O'Reilly, and Achari. <laughs> We've seen Shin work with O'Reilly before. We also know that Achari is the exact kind of player that would seem to have instant chemistry with O'Reilly. They're hard workers. They're, they're the guys that you know are going to go out there, and they can be a shutdown line for you if that's what you need them to be. That Russian line, we've seen them have success in the past. There is instant chemistry that can be built there. And then we've seen Thomas and Kairou together before as well. I think what they're trying to accomplish is just, hey, it's very clear. There has been zero chemistry with our line so far this year. Let's microwave the chemistry together real quick. Like, what what, what is that would work in our top nine that would instantly even if the results aren't great right away it would give them some chemistry where we can at least evaluate what we have here with some of these other guys through the top line i i think that's what they're trying to accomplish with this yeah i mean sometimes you got to go back to old faithful to try and get you back up on the horse get back up on the saddle as miles michaelis likes to say you know a lot of cliches. There. A lot of cliches there. My mind didn't really get Starting you to, to that up. point. I mean, let, let's go line by line here. Barbashev, Tarasenko, and Buchnevich are better known as the Buchenchev line. That line for you last season. It's the Russian line, dude. No, it's not. Sorry, that's not correct. That line for you last season, for a span of about Gosh. two or three weeks, felt like it was never going to be broken up because it was just so good. And if you look at that line, 
the, the, the Russian style of hockey is puck possession. They're not dumping and chasing. They're keeping it on their sticks and they're going to keep passing. Can be problematic, but if you've got the chemistry and these guys have played together before, you create a lot of offense from it. The kid line is going to be a little bit of a liability on the defensive side. But they're also going to play with skill. And if you look at it, the way that they were framed according to JR and Lou at practice, I know people are going to hate this, but it was the third line for you. To where you're going to try and match that up against other teams' third lines. And guess what? Other teams' third lines, you know what the Blues were for a while? Not very reliable defensively. So that line could have some advantages here for you. And then you've got O'Reilly, Shen, and Achari. Do you have a name for that line? No, give me a couple minutes. Though. I'll get one for you before the end Why of this segment. Why would you even want him to come up with a name? Shannon for that O'Reilly line? last season. They didn't play a whole lot together, according to Natural Stat Trick. Shotari. Oh God, no, that's awful, man. Why don't you let me come up with the nicknames here? I thought that was pretty. There's good. one thing that I'm good at. <laughs> it's Just not this. Wow, 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 wow. It's hosting. Blue I'm gonna get back to game. what I do Power again. Red, sorry. 148 minutes played together last season. Not a whole lot, but the scoring chances for uh, on that line was 63. So they can create offense. And look, uh, we're going to talk about him in, in specific a little bit later, but I like the Achari decision to put him on a wing here because Achari goes to the front of the net and Achari has scored 20 goals in the past. And you know where he scores those 20 goals? off of rebounds, off of the goaltender. So this might be the recipe for success, but the thing is you got to keep them together for a little bit so they can create some chemistry. Yeah, I'm just excited to see what it looks like. Here's Craig Burby talking about the decision to move Achari to that top line. Just trying to find some line combinations. I think that he's a heavy player down in the offensive zone um, and could be a good complement to O'Reilly. I think that he's going to be exactly the type of player that O'Reilly needed with him. I, I think O'Reilly's been trying to make up for some of the mistakes that he's seen from his line mates, specifically Jordan Cairo. And I think he's been trying to do a little too much. Uh, you can We can say whatever we want to about Noel Chari. One thing we know is that he's going to be reliable. He's going to be a guy that when he's out there, you know exactly what he's going to do. You know exactly where he's going to be as well. Alex, do you know how many career assists Noel Chari has? He has 46 career goals. If you would, if you had to guess, in 300 games in his career, 46 career goals. How many how many assists do you think he has? I'm asking this for a reason, of course. 25. Tanner? Uh, no, Just I, went too high. I went too high. 10. I'm going to go 30. He has 33 career assists. That is not very many for a Why guy. Why did I ruin the game? Because you went too low. Going too low always kind of messes up the, the well, whole You don't ask the question it. unless it's a really low number. <laughs> you set it up poorly. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Noah Chari is going to be at the net. He's not a guy that's distribut- distributing the puck from all over. No, he's, he's going to be at the net. He's going to get those rebound opportunities as you're talking about. So O'Reilly and Shin, they're going to create the opportunities. Achari's going to put him in the back of the net. You know where he's going to be standing in the offensive zone. With Kairou, man, I love the guy. I, I think that of the three of us and probably of all of the people in St. Louis right now, I might be the highest guy on Jordan Kairou. Well, he might be the highest guy. Touche. But we also just don't know where he's going to be at any given time. He doesn't play very structured hockey. He's too unpredictable. And with O'Reilly, you need predictability. The Perron, you knew exactly where he was going to be, basically at all times. And I think Achari brings that back to that line with him. Yeah, and I think you also have two physical presence out there. Like, O'Reilly's all about creating space on the ice. If the puck's on his stick, he's going to find somebody open for you, but you got to make sure the guys are in the right position rather than skating around and waiting for that puck to come to you, which Jordan Kyrou does. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Braden Shen and Noel Achari do one thing, and it's go to the front of the net. If I were to make a prediction tonight, that line will have the most shots on goal. 
because I would imagine that line's sole purpose on the ice is putting pucks to net because then you're going to treat it like hungry wolves out there. They're all going to swarm that goaltender because you're playing a New York Islanders team that does not give up a lot of goals and they don't give up a lot of scoring chances. The only way you're going to beat them, and my assumption is Ilya Sorokin's going to be playing tonight. They're number one. Only way you're beating that guy is if you put somebody in front of him and take his eyes away, which is what Achari and Braden Shen do, and they're willing to take the blows from the opposition in front of the net rather than some of these other guys. Noah Chari, six plus 640 to score a goal tonight. Do you like that? I do like that. I, if, if Is it just anytime goal score? Anytime yeah. goal plus 640. You know who I also like in, in this circumstance? Hmm. I like Jake Neighbors to score a goal. I like Ryan O'Reilly. I like every person on this team to score a goal. I, I think like s- Jordan Cairo. What, 6-2 to two winner tonight? Six to two winner? Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking four two. Oh no, you guys are insane. This is gonna be if you're winning this game, it's two forty shots on net, six go in the goal, it'll be great. Two one, three two. You guys they are insane. They get forty shots on goal, the Islanders stink. Well, yeah, and they do not stink. This is the night where you need to see it. This is the night where you need it. The Blues are in a five game losing streak. Their president of hockey operations just had a closed door meeting with the entire team. He just publicly stated to all of us to hear if things don't get turned around, not only where the, will there be changes, he used the word a rebuild is possible for the St. Louis Blues. If you do, if you hear that as a player and you don't immediately take that onto the ice with you, especially after all of these changes have been made, they got bag skated yesterday. They were doing the, the short um, like in a phone booth style. Yeah, they condensed the ice. Essentially, they put the nets real close together. This this is the type of game where if they don't respond to that well, it, it will start to bring up some real questions about the long-term future of what this team's going to be. Uh, so I just went and looked this up real quick, j- not to get away from what you were talking about, but Noah Chari, the year that he scored 20 goals with the Florida Panthers. It's seven assists. That's not what I was talking about, but I like where you're going with it. His expected rebounds created were 7.4. I'm going real analytics on here. Going real deep. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So essentially, he's creating rebounds with the shots that he's taking, but the expected goals <laughs> off of rebound shots, he had the third most on that team, the Florida Panthers. So, guy's going to score off of rebounds. Now, what were you saying again? <laughs> that felt like the they ultimate BK tonight. moment. It's going to be the it. rally around the flag moment. Blues versus the Islanders. They need it. Pre-game starting at 6 o'clock. Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale will be on the pre-game for you tonight right here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk to Joey coming up in about 30 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, are the Cardinals going all in on a shortstop? I know that we've been saying it on the show. I think it holds a little more credence when Greg Amsinger says it on the morning show. We'll let you hear what he had to say next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Trey Turner, Trey, Trey, Trey Turner. He's the only player I go get. The only, I put all my eggs in Trey Turner's basket. Trey Turner will be the shortstop of the St. Louis Cardinals come opening day 2023. It, it, to me, it's, it's the perfect fit. Uh, he is the missing link. And if the Cardinals don't recognize that, then they're missing out. I know they've got young players. This kid Wynn is a, a talented young minor leaguer. 
but what we've learned over the years is you just don't know what you get from prospects. It's not bulletproof. This is a, a, a guaranteed star, and if you can lock up Trey Turner and set him next to Nolan Arenado for years to come, you're going to be winning the NL Central. Hey, we're not the only ones that think it. All right, but like, let's be real here. Winning the NL Central is not that hard yeah, anymore. They, they could literally run it back and win the Central. With Alex Ferrario <laughs> and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Greg Gamsinger of MLB Network earlier today on the opening drive. If you missed any of their conversation, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I, I Whether it's Trey Turner, whether it's Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, one of those three guys, I'm completely on board with what Greg Gamsinger is saying there. I, I I have convinced myself where where I currently stand, at least as we head into this offseason, Alex, I think I'm in an all-in shortstop proposition. I think if this team gets one of those top three shortstops, it's probably going to be a successful offseason. And I almost say that regardless of what comes along with it. If they end up trading for Sean Murphy to be their their catcher, along with one of those three shortstops, I'm in. If they end up getting and making it just a, a boomer bust offseason where you get Wilson Contreras, one of these three shortstops, and then literally add nothing else, I'm in. Even if you get like a Martin Maldonado, one of these shortstops, throw in... I don't know, like a random left-handed bat in the outfield and you get one of those lower level relievers. Michael cool. Conforto. I'm here for that as well. Whatever the offseason looks like around this superstar shortstop, I think it would be considered a success for me because you have locked in certainty in your infield and that's what this team has been desperately lacking for years. Barring some type of trade, the only way this offseason is successful is if one of these four names are on the team uh, by the start of spring training. Get ready to write this down, BK. Get your notebook ready. Aaron Judge. Okay. That's spelled A-A-R-O-N. Yep. Xander Bogarts. Can you spell that one for me? It starts with an X. T-Bone likes to call him Xander, but okay. it's just Xander. What about the last name? Can you spell that for me? And uh, No, I probably can. Actually, let's try this. <laughs> let's do a spelling B. B-O-G-A-E-R-T-S. Yep. Oh, I'm surprised The E by is that. silent like the I in Island. Well done. Um, the other two, Carlos Correa and Trey Turner. If, if you don't sign one of those four names, it's not a success because you're not making your offense that much better. Wilson Contreras, like, I love the idea of Wilson Contreras, but there's got to be somebody else with Wilson Contreras. If your offseason ends by signing one of those four names that I just mentioned, it's a success for me. Because you did something you've not done before, and you've improved your offense massively to where I can look at it and say, when I face the Dodgers, when I face the Braves, when I face the Phillies, I can come away with victories. When was the last time the Cardinals signed a superstar free agent? Have in his I'm, prime. Let's let's. I'm asking this in caveat. all sincerity. Like I I I'm asking a question that honestly I don't think I have the answer to. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line. Beltron wasn't a superstar when they signed him. No, he was at the back end of his career. He was a a good player at that point. But I I can't remember the last time that they did what we're talking about. Now they have made trades for superstar players in their prime and then re-signed them. So they deserve a lot of credit for that. I mean, you can go back 20 years and see all of the guys that they've done that with. But the last superstar free agent that they signed and brought in in his prime would you consider a big time deal? I, I can't remember them doing something like I that. Mean, you can't even consider Matt Holiday that because you had him on your team already. That was a trade. Yeah. Like that, that's I think that's the difference here because Arenado and Goldie fit into what you're talking about with Matt Holiday. But this this would be. 
a deviation from their typical plans. You're winning a bidding war, not via prospects currency, but a you're winning the auction. They don't do that very often. And so if they end up winning one of these auctions, not for the middle tier. No, we're talking for Judge, Bogarts, Turner, Correa. I think we can probably cross Judge off of this list. I I would just be absolutely shocked if he's in their plans. But Would it be Jason Isringhausen? One of those other three, maybe. But, I mean, that's... I mean, I don't know if that's... You really power. call Austin City? You really call a closer a superstar, though? Uh, no, I, I'm just I'm I'm just trying to find something that would match that. But you're right. I mean, they haven't had this. Yeah, I mean, this would be this would be completely different than what we have talked about with the Cardinals in their past. And I think it's what they need. You, you look at the other teams that they're competing against in the National League. I think every single one of them has had something like this before, and the Cardinals just just haven't. And I don't know if the Cardinals would consider this as spending crazy, stupid money, but. I think that's the way you kind of have to go about it. You have to be willing to go spend that crazy amount of money because otherwise it's going to be tough to, one, you're not going to win those auctions if you're not willing to spend the big bucks. But, but it two, c- it's tough to catch up with all these other teams that we're talking about. I mean, you look at the Braves, their payroll is going to be really high up. Phillies is going to be high up there. The Mets will be up there. The Dodgers will be up there. The Padres will be up there. So, like, if you want to be able to compete with these teams, A, you have to have a good development system, and the Cardinals have that, but you have to be willing to supplement it with superstars when necessary. And right now this feels like a necessary offseason where you should be looking at one of these superstars to bring in. I... I'll never forget this quote that I saw from the Phillies owner where it was, I want my damn trophy back. That's the mindset the Cardinals should have going into this offseason is that they want that trophy back and not just an NL Central title. No, I mean, we just said it. You can run back with this team if you want to win the NL Central. Go out there and take that next step and have that aggressive attitude towards not only do we want to win the Central, but we want to be legit contenders in October, not just get in and see what happens. Is it considered crazy, stupid money if – you're bringing in crazy, stupid money. Like, I, I don't know if the Phillies consider them spending crazy, stupid money because they know they're bringing in money that can justify it. Like, that's, and I'm only bringing this up because Tanner said it, and I would imagine fans are thinking that too. Like, well, the Cardinals aren't going to spend that crazy amount of money. It's not crazy if you're justifying the amount you're spending that it's coming in and you just saw the repercussions of it. It's also in the context of what you have on the books. Like The, the Cardinals are uniquely positioned this offseason to be able to make a move like this. And the reason why I say that is because you look at what's on their books for this year. They basically have two significant salaries on the books, and it's Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. And the reason why this is unique in this season is because Nolan Arenado is having half of his salary paid for by the Colorado Rockies. So instead of it being a $25 million salary for the Cardinals, it's closer to 10. And for Paul Goldschmidt, after this season, where, again, you only have like $35 million this year committed to the combination of Goldie and Arenado, you only have one other season in which you're paying both Goldschmidt and Arenado the full freight of their salaries. And that's next year. This team can do that because next year you're also eliminating a $17 million salary that's on your books this season with Miles Michaelis. And I don't think that they're going to go out there and spend crazy money on a pitcher. Maybe they will, but if they did, that would probably preclude them from being in on the shortstop market. So you're set up really well. They think that Jordan Walker and Dylan Carlson and Mason Wynn and Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan and Lars Nupar, they think these guys are going to be pretty good players as well. Those are complementary pieces. They're all cheap, cost-controlled assets for you. You're in a great spot to be able to add not just a significant salary, but one of those crazy, stupid money salaries to your books in a way that they really haven't been in probably close to a decade, maybe more than that. 
because previously you had the big money for Albert Pujols. You had the MV3 in the early 2000s. Even after that, you ended up going out and spending on a Dexter Fowler. You were spending on um, your catcher position plus a couple of starters. You, you don't have that on your books right now. You can go out there and make the third of your big splashes. You know what you also don't have in over a decade? A championship. So I think those kind of coincide with each other now to where you get to the point where you say, all right, it's time to go after that trophy rather than just go after the NL Central crown. The other thing that I think the reason why we're talking so much about the shortstop position is because of what is available to you. I've had a lot of questions about, hey, hey, why do the Cardinals need to add another middle infielder? They're already pretty stacked there. You look at what they have with Donovan and with Gorman and Edmund. That's pretty good. That's a good trio to have in your middle infield. But look at the look at the free agents that are available this offseason. If you want to significantly upgrade your roster, it's probably not coming in the outfield where the best options not named Aaron Judge are Andrew Benintendi and Brandon Nimmo. Nimmo has injury questions. Benintendi has some injury questions in his past, but more he's just a slightly above average player. And Nimmo might be getting all the money from his current team. You can't add in the corner infield because where are those guys going to be playing when you have Goldie and Arenado that are playing every day? You could add a catcher, but Wilson Contreras, for as good of a bat as he is, he does not even stand up next to Bogarts, Turner, or Correa. Those guys are just on a different level as bats compared to what Contreras is. So go get the best available option. And that option for you this offseason is at shortstop. Coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, want to get his thoughts on what he expects tonight in this game against the Islanders and what his thoughts are on the new lineup construction. We'll get into that coming up next with Joey Vitale on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We are very happy to go out to the Brown and Coop and Celebrity Line to be joined by the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He's Joey Vitale joining us here on the show. Joey, how you doing today? Joey, Joey, Joey. What's up, boys? Boys, boys, doing good. Leaving the rink right now. Uh, optional morning skate this morning. But uh, everyone looks to be doing good. Good to see Brandon Saad back on the ice. Chat with uh, Braden Chen, a couple of players there a little bit. Got some good scoops and. Listen, the players are excited to get back to the ice tonight and, and kind of right this ship, like you guys mentioned, that five-game losing streak. Uh, the attitude's pretty business-like around the rink right now, and hopefully we'll see some more smiles this evening. Joe, how you feeling, man? Hey, I'm doing okay, man. You know, I, I, had, I had a brief stint with a – well, I've never had a heart attack before, but, you know, pretty close. Uh, the closest thing, I think, to a heart attack I experienced a couple nights ago at the Enterprise Center. I'm going to find – listen, I'm going to find out who did it. I'm gonna find. I'm gonna get to the bottom of it. And uh, as people say, paybacks, uh, paybacks would be a bia. You know what I mean? Well, if uh, for people that don't know what Joe's talking about, to September 26th, the preseason game, uh, a grasshopper scared the bejesus out of Joey Vitale to where he flung somebody in front of him as a human sacrifice. Um, and some individual that we didn't know uh, brought a mechanical grasshopper into the booth during the second period, and this was Joe Kopitar right underneath his skates and got right underneath him there. And I believe it was Graham Skillich. Joe, uh, I, I honestly, I know you're an athlete. You made the NHL, man. You were, you had a long career in the NHL. Um, but I don't know if I've ever seen you jump that high. 
All right, you know what? You want to get into this? Let's get into this. Okay, let's oh, start with the uh, let's start with the uh, the incident going to Columbus. First of all, people keep talking about it, it was like a this thing was not a grasshopper. This thing was not a cricket. This thing was a uh, a praying mantis on steroids. This thing was the size of at least my forearm. I mean, this thing was flying everywhere in the plane, and I was okay with it just kind of sitting on the uh, the overhead compartment door there and. And all of a sudden, I go to stand up, and I'm kind of looking at the corner of my eye, and it just buzzes right for me. Now, I don't speak grasshopper. I don't speak praying mantis. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure if I did, I think it said, let's get it on. And it came at me with its claws and its eyeballs all googly-eyed and everything. And, it, you know, I did I did what I had to do. And I had to use Danita, who is uh, you know, the, the, a young lady who does a wonderful job on our, our intermission reports and the Jumbotron. There's a lot of content. She's first year on the job. And I did what I had to do. I had to use her as a human shield. And like I told her afterwards, after I apologized and she's freaked out, she has the meatballs in her hair from the from the chaos. I said, listen, Danita, no offense, but I'm irreplaceable. But you you are very replaceable. Oh. And I hate to break you that way. But that's just, oh, no. that's, just, that's just life. Like, anyone can do your job. Not anyone can be the bread man. Like, not everyone oh, no. can be the bread man. And I said it with obviously a smile on my face. Um, but anyway, so that was the original thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple couple days ago at the Blues' last home game, someone decided to be really funny. And they got a, I don't even know where you find a remote control cricket. But it is all people are talking about now. I'm walking down the street. People are like, hey, Joe, saw the cricket video. And my wife's like, what are they talking about? Hockey practice last night. Everyone, everyone on the ice. I had the 2012 and the 2011 Knights team over there in Maryville. I coached about 25 kids. Everyone calls me now Cricket Joe. I'm like, it wasn't a cricket. It wasn't a cricket. This thing was a. This thing was something from Australia. I don't know. Hopped on a plane. It was. It was big. It was. It was googly eyed. I hated it. It was. And I just, you know, I don't know what you are, man. Like I told Kirby today. Like, listen, a spider. I know what it is. It's gonna crawl and it's gonna throw webs. Like this, these grasshoppers are freaky, man. They jump or they fly. They don't know what they do, and no one knows what they do, and they can't make up their mind, and that's what kind of freaks me out a little bit. And all of a sudden, uh, a cricket comes out live in there, and I, I may have dropped an F-bomb, maybe one or two. And uh, luckily, the dump man, Grant, was on top of it that day, and, and we're all good to go. From the bread man you, to the mantis man. I love you, Joe. <laughs> yeah, man. You know what? Here's the thing. BK, and, and, and no, no offense to uh, your, your great partner, Alex, there, but I look back at the videos. Alex always hangs in the booth next to me the whole game. But all of a sudden, I looked in the video, and for some reason, he's behind me to my left. And I, I don't know why exactly he decided to move right at that ideal time. I would imagine it's a remote control that he's got a hand. So, so I'm not saying who did it or who didn't, but I just know that it was very interesting why Alex decided of all the times to move right before uh, the act the act pursued. Joe, I can promise you one thing, buddy. I would never do that to you. I would never okay. purchase a remote control grasshopper to scare you. Okay, so you're you're off the list. I know I know you won't lie to me, especially live on air. So I, it, it comes down to Schulte and Curbs. It, it's just going to be Schulte and Curbs. I'm going to find it. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient with this thing. You don't want to attack too early, but this is going to be this is going to be good. I'm excited. If you want to see the video, it is outstanding. <laughs> you should check it out. It is at the St. Louis Blues on Twitter at at uh, St. Louis Blues. That's where you can find it. Uh, I think we've put it on ours as well mm-hmm. at 101 ESPN if you want to go there. So it's it's well worth your time. Joe, let's talk a little hockey. Uh, the Blues decided to shake up the lines over the last couple of days, which makes sense given the lack of uh, success that they've had putting the puck in the back of the net. What do you make of the line combinations that they've gone with? What do you think of moving Nola Chari up, having the kid line, and then going back to the Russian line? 
Well, I think they're all great things for, for many reasons. I mean, number one, you mentioned Noel Achari. Let's start there. I think he's been everything advertised. Craig Brewer even said it the other day. He, he's been everything they needed him to be. He's been everything that is the way or why Craig, uh, Doug Armstrong wanted to bring him to St. Louis. You know, from his physicality to winning faceoffs to killing penalties to being a spark for this team. Uh, even in games where the Blues, everyone else is almost invisible at times, you do notice Noel Achari, whether that be the Nashville game where they got blown out or certainly last game against the L.A. Kings. So to me, uh, you want to give a cookie to a guy who, who's doing well for you, and that's where we're going to see a little bump. I think Craig Burby is going to look to increase his ice time, obviously being that top nine, so that's a good thing. The kid line's a great line because I think that um, – all those guys right there, you know, they have the ability to beat players individually. Um, they have a lot of newness in them, a lot of rawness in them. And I think for a player like Jake Neighbors, who is still brand new to this league, or a player like Jordan Cairo, who's looking to find his groove this season, or even Robert Thomas, that matter, who I, who I think has been the best of the three, but it's still at this, at this point. With new players, there is a psyche when you are in the NHL. You know, for let's just call it a Jake Neighbors. If he's playing on a line with Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad, you know, instinctually, it's very hard to get away from this mindset, but you want to give the cookie to the O'Reilly's. Robert Thomas, he's going to at times want to find Vladimir Tarasenko. I, I experienced this in Pittsburgh. Whenever anyone played with Sidney Crosby, you know, it was hard to avoid it, but the players that were next to him were looking to find him. And what that does is, is it gets you thinking maybe a little bit too much. Um, Chris Kunis actually was uh, Sid's best linemate, and he really just did not care. He just played his game, which Sid ended up loving, and they worked out well together. Of course, won a couple for a young player to be playing up against uh, with some veterans, there is that there is that mental side where you do want to find them and, and make sure they're getting their points. But to me, when you do that, you end up forcing plays that just are not there instead of just playing uh, an instinctual hockey game, which you've been doing since you were a kid. So I love the fact that there's zero pressure from those kids to be finding anyone in, in particular or superstars or all-stars on that line uh, necessarily um, to find them the puck. So that's, that's number two. And then the Russian line you mentioned, there's a comfortability factor. I think with, with Buchnevich and Tarasenko and, of course, Ivan Barbashev, I think we've seen these guys work well together at times. I mean, this is these are the three guys that were the top three stars in the opener against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I think when you when you ask, like, Ivan Barbashev, like we did last year, you know, what's it like, you know, playing with the Russians uh, versus playing with anyone else? And he said, believe it or not, it, it, I can't tell you how helpful it is, especially for a player like Pavel Buchnevich, who probably speaks the most broke out of those three but just the communication, like being able to communicate and speak Russian uh, is really important as far as the awareness and communicating on the ice about where the puck is or where you need to be in order to find the puck. So I think for all three reasons, you mentioned those, those, three, those three things up top, uh, PK, I, I think we're going to see uh, hopefully a fresher lineup, uh, a less pressured lineup, and certainly a lot more comfortability with all those three different sets. And then, you know, at the end of the day, though, you know, ask Craig Berube, and, and he didn't say this to me directly, but Listen, he, he's probably maxed out with, with moving guys around. I mean, how many more different ways can you, can you create a cake or can you create a chess mat? I mean, there's only so much you can do. I mean, he's pretty much exercised just about everything he can. Now, ultimately, it's got to fall to the team. He's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario tonight starting at 6 o'clock. We're hoping to see a better version of the Blues against the Islanders. Puck drop for that one coming up right here on 101 ESPN at 7. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. I wish you the best of the luck in the booth tonight. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks so much, boys. Talk to you next week. See you, Joey. It's Joey Vitale, the man- Mantis man here on 101 oh, ESPN. Oh, Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. That video still gets me. Is it time to move Nolan Gorman to the outfield, Tanner? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. Questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Next, you're on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Service X Live for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Tanner, yesterday you said that you thought the Astros would get back into this World Series with a win. Do you now think that they are the favorite in the World Series after taking that game and having a no-hitter, combined no-hitter last night? I think so. I, I thought they were still going to be the team that I would uh, take, probably even if they would have lost that game, just because I think they're the better team. And I think in a best-of-seven series... Honestly, I, I said this, too. When you get to the best of five, I think the better team prevails. And I think the Astros are the better team. They're going with Verlander tonight. I think Verlander, I know he's got, like, Clayton Kershaw-esque postseason numbers. I think he has a big game tonight. They go up 3-2, and then they try to close it out in either game six or seven. Tanner just hates teams that are a six seed in the World Series. So that's the only reason real, he's saying that. They're not a real playoff team. You're right. Also, how about Aaron Nola getting lit up again? I said that last too. few days. Yeah. Or last Remember when, I forgot who we interviewed. It was the Phillies B writer before the wild card. And we said like how much of, of lack of playoff experience is going to affect these guys. And it obviously didn't in the wild card, nor did it in the NL DS. But I think ever since they've gotten beyond that, it's, it started to kind of creep in his last three starts starting in the NLCS and then into the world series for Aaron Nola, four and two thirds innings, gave up six earned runs, four and a third innings, gave up five earned runs. And then last night Whit four gave up three. He just hasn't been the same guy as he yeah. was in his first couple of starts in the postseason that was a big one not winning a game in which you had Aaron Nola on the mound and now you're relying upon Cindergaard Wheeler and we'll see what they decide to do if there is a game seven makes it really tough for the Phillies I think last night was a representative of what we've been talking about with the Cardinals offense too where it's hey you can be really good and then suddenly boom you get shut down by a really good pitcher the Phillies have been outstanding offensively all postseason and then suddenly they go up against a super hot starter. The bullpen shuts them down and they get no hit over the course of an entire game. It's the small sample size theater that we talk about with the playoffs. It's not because they're not good in the playoffs, because sometimes the other team just out bests you. Yesterday, I said I, I felt good about the Phillies if they would win that one. That was a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Now they no longer have the home field advantage. You've got games six and seven in Houston. I think Houston's going to probably be able to take this thing down. 65780 is the error comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, why haven't we talked more about Sean Murphy as a real option for the Cardinals this offseason? Tanner, let's start with you because I know you're on the opposite end of this. Why are you opposed to the idea of Sean Murphy? I'm opposed because I think he's going to cost too much to go get him. And I, I think we brought this up while you were out. Derek Gould said in one of his chats, he think it's going to cost you a young pitching prospect and then also probably someone that has got more control than Murphy. Let's put names so, on it, Graceffo and Gorman. Yeah. To me, that's too much capital to trade for Sean Murphy. And I, look, Sean Murphy's a good catcher. He's not worth those that prospect all in my mind. And I know that you'll push back on that, but I... To me, I would much rather sign Wilson Contreras than go give up assets, prospect capital for Sean Murphy. Uh, I just think that Wilson Contreras is the better catcher. I'd rather see him here rather than giving up that prospect capital or just spend $5 million bucks on a guy that's going to be defensive-minded first, like Tucker Barnhart, Martin Maldonado, someone like that. I'm with Tanner. I'm The whole thing about your team next season is depth in terms of players, and I, I just I think giving up those pieces to get – a catcher where you could sign a catcher 
is a little too much for me. Now, if we're talking about trading those pieces for a legit top of the rotation ace, I'm in on it, but I don't know if I want that just for a catcher. So the problem is you're also losing compensation with Wilson Contreras because he's going to be a qualifying offer guy. But isn't like a fourth round pick? I thought somebody I saw somebody put it out there. So I'd have to go back into it. To I haven't had to think about this for the Cardinals because in the past they've just not been interested in most of the guys that are attached to qualifying offers. I, I think it might be their second highest pick, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have Sounds to go back right. through. Also, I don't care. I mean, but that is a prospect. Like, we don't know the name of that prospect yet, but if we're going to talk about trading prospects capital for Sean Murphy, for example, we also have to talk about the fact that you are losing prospects capital if you were to sign Wilson Contreras. Yeah, but if no- I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't care. I'm, I'm fine with that. But if Nolan Gorman's going to be the quote-unquote Kyle Schorber that you have brought up, I'm not trading that for a catcher where I can go out and either trade for another catcher that's not going to cost me as much. And I, I forgot who the team is that has multiple. It's Toronto, right, that has two of them, and they've got a top prospect. So they're not going to ask probably as much that Oakland would for Sean Murphy, who's their guy, or I'm going to sign a guy. And the thing for me, too, is the prospects that you're probably giving up, the high-end pitching prospect and the guy that's got more control than Murphy that's major league ready, I mean, those guys are either A, they're here and they're just still developing like Nolan Gorman, for example, or B, they're super close. And I would rather, I I understand that I know the draft pick is a, and it's a second or third round pick, depending on where they're uh, one of their other picks is. So could be either one, but that guy's like four to five years away. So like the fact that these guys are closer makes me less likely to do that than to say, okay, four or five years. That guy may flame out if we draft him or whoever drafts him. There's also a difference in age with these two players. Rashawn Murphy is going to be 28 next year, and Wilson Contreras is going to be 31. There's also a difference in compensation where Sean Murphy is going to make about $3 million next year, and Wilson Contreras is probably going to make close to $20 million next year. I think you're going to need the pitcher more than you're going to need the Nolan Gorman in the trade. That's what stings more, especially beyond the season when your rotation is going to take a massive hit. Yeah, I'm just never opposed to trading pitching prospects. Like I, in general, this team's pretty good at finding the mid-level starter, and they've been pretty good at developing mid-level starters. So I I don't have necessarily a problem with that. I'm not even saying like the team should or will trade for Sean Murphy. What I am saying is at the beginning of the offseason, I was kind of opposed to it, and now as I looked more into it, Sean Murphy is offensively basically what you're hoping that Wilson Contreras will be for you, and he's much better defensively. Murphy is a an outstanding glove behind the plate, Pop times are great. Um, Very good as a framer. He's a guy that you trust back there. He's younger. He's cheaper. He's cost controlled for the next, I think, three years for you. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. I don't have an issue with either of these two options. Honestly, I, I don't think I care as much about what they do at catcher as a lot of other people do. And I know that sounds bad, but I'm focusing more on the other positions. Like if you could get a, one of the shortstops that we were talking about earlier, Alex, I would rather do that than give up this compensation for Murphy, but I wouldn't be opposed to doing both. Like if you end up getting one of those shortstops and you say, okay, we no longer have the money to spend on a Wilson Contreras. We can either get Martin Maldonado. And I'm asking you this, Alex, which would you prefer get Martin Maldonado for $5 million on a one year deal, or we can trade Gorman and one of those pitching prospects, probably Graceffo for Sean Murphy. Murphy's a 20% above league average hitter, and he's a borderline gold glove candidate as a catcher. 
which one of those would you rather do? Maldonado or Murphy? Because that's probably going to be what their options yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, the caveat always comes in, what's the rest of the offseason look like? But if it's just one for one, those two options, yeah, of course I'm going to want to go with Deshaun Murphy in this circumstance. See, I would probably but it, still... That might be your option is what I'm saying. Like, what are your alternatives in this scenario? Well, Contreras... But he's $20 million. I'm saying, like, you don't have the money to do one of those shortstops plus Contreras because that's $55 million you're spending on two players without, uh, like, filling any other holes. I just think before I call Oakland, I would probably see if there's another catcher out there that's going to cost less in the value or in the return of a trade. And it might be Danny Jansen from the the Blue Jays. But you're giving up a significant haul regardless of who that guy is. Or you're just not getting a very good catcher. Which is, again, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I'm willing to get a shortstop and then somebody else that I think helps me offensively and not have that coming from behind the plate. But See, I would rather to be your option. I would rather go get someone for like 5 million bucks to be behind the plate. Like I, I, I know that I bring up Tucker Barnhart a lot, a lot and people don't like it, but Tucker Barnhart's really good defensively. He's not going to hit, but he's $5 million. And I think he's worth to me. I know Sean Murphy, like his numbers are good, but he's not worth the prospect call that it's going to cost. I, I just don't think he is. And I was looking, his he's 59, last two seasons, he's 59 points worse in OPS behind Wilson Contreras. Does his defense make up for that? I don't know. It just depends on how you view it. In my opinion, no. I'd rather sign Contreras for the $20 million. Last two years, he's what? He's got, his OPS is 59 points worse than uh, Contreras. He's at 738 over the last two seasons as Sean Murphy. And then you look at Wilson Contreras is 797. You have, to, you have to change that, though, based on where they play as well. I think that's a pretty significant okay, factor. I mean, Wrigley is, I, a, is a hitter's park. Based on the OPS but, pluses, they're pretty much the same. I, I think that, see, I wouldn't buy into Sean Murphy because he plays in a non-hitter friendly park. He's going to come here and do that. I think Contreras' numbers are they're not as good in Wrigley, but they're not as bad as like, they're not going to drop down to Murphy's level. If that makes sense. In I my guess, opinion. I mean, last year they were basically the same hitter offensively. I think the thing for me is Did I, 59 OPS points better last year. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying the last two seasons is yeah. what I'm saying. Two years ago, Murphy wasn't very good at the plate. Three years ago, if you're going to include that, he was, he was excellent. I, I think, I think for you, you too. Can we, can we stop, stop the cat scratching? I can't handle them huh? anymore. I think the bigger thing for me with this is the track record more than anything. And I know he's played in the league for four years, but you've had one good season from him in terms of offense, and you have a lot more with Wilson Contreras. That's at least where, for me, I'm done with the, oh, well, let's see if we can get this guy when he's hot. You get it, and then it doesn't pan out. Whereas Contreras, you know that he's done this on multiple occasions. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly not a po- like. The thing is, I I don't have an issue with acquiring Wilson Contreras. I'm I'm totally fine with that. I'm just becoming more open to the idea of getting, um, getting a guy like Sean Murphy than I was at the beginning of the off season. Because as a, as you look further into what he does, he hits the ball pretty hard. He is excellent defensively. He doesn't have as many questions to me as as a Wilson Contreras does. Like when you look at what what both bring to the table. And one's going to cost you a whole lot of money and a decent asset from the draft. The other is going to cost you a whole lot of prospects capital. So I guess it just depends on which they think they they need more. What what is what is the opportunity cost? If I get this guy, whether it be Contreras or Murphy, what am I not getting as a result? You know who of that? he reminds me of, and it's why I'd be skeptical of bringing him in for the the prospect capital. It, he reminds me kind of what James McCann was. McCann was a pretty good hitter there for a while. Everybody loved his defense, and then the Mets went out and signed him to the big contract. I'm not saying he's going to get the contract because he's the guy you give up the prospect yeah. pool for. And now you look at it, and the metric on 
damn, we need a catcher instead of, oh, hey, we went out and got the best guy. Maybe Contreras ends up being the same way, but I just, when I see Sean Murphy, I think James McCann. That's who I think. McCann didn't hit until he was 30. That that would be my caveat, is he had one good offensive season, and it came in his age 30 season, and it was in the shortened pandemic 2020 oh, see, season. I'm, already, I'm looking at his 2019 season with the White Sox and his 2017 season with the Detroit Tigers. We're 733 OPS, 789 OPS. Yeah. And that's kind of where Sean Murphy's sitting right now. Both were right around OPS. league average offensively. Coming up at 15 minutes, we're talking to Keith Law. He's a baseball writer for The Athletic. I want to get his thoughts on Sean Murphy, plus we'll get his thoughts on which of the shortstops would he like to see here in St. Louis. Does he think they need a shortstop? We'll talk to Keith Law about all of that coming up at 12:15. But next, Nolan Gorman. We just talked about him potentially being included in a trade. What if he stays here in St. Louis? What is his future position? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Gorman should get some reps in the outfield. I think that he should be like, put him in a corner. He's good. He already proved to you he's a very good athlete. He talked about it last year. He's like, I want to stay on the grass as much as possible. That's great. But if you're not getting the reps there and, and it's, you know, not an obvious option, just DH you all the time, even if he doesn't look great in a corner outfield spot, if he hits, you'll find a place for him. Absolutely. He's, he is a key to what you're, or not even him, okay? Let's not even say Gorman is a key. His skill set is a key to what you need to succeed next year. He's a left-handed bat with big-time power. I love that. I love that take from Brad Thompson on the fast lane yesterday with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Is it time to consider moving Nolan Gorman to the outfield? I'm not saying he's got to stay there forever. He's never able to play in the infield again. You just put a you put a box around it and say, hey, you can't come here. No, no, no. You're going to have to put a box around him in the outfield. Gorman can Don't move still from here. play second base occasionally if needed. But I think Tommy Edmonds a better second baseman than him. I think Brendan Donovan's a better second baseman than him. I think Mason Wynn, when he's ready, will be a better defensive second baseman than Nolan Gorman is. So where are you getting this playing time for Nolan Gorman on the infield after they sign a Carlos Correa, a Trey Turner, or a Xander Bogart? Two letters. D-H. I'm fine with that, too. You can use Nolan Gorman at designated hitter and in left. And the reason why I am on the same wavelength as Brad Thompson with this is because look at some of the other guys that have received playing time in left field. Jordan Alvarez played out there at times for Houston this they year. They really didn't want to put him there, but they did. You look at Kyle Schwarber, who is currently playing in left field and has not been a liability for the Philadelphia Phillies. Tell that to Keith Hernandez. You look at, okay. You look at Andrew Vaughn, who was not a particularly good defender for the Chicago White Sox. He played out there at times. Oh, yeah. How's he doing in the postseason? You know who plays in left field for Atlanta? Marcelo Zuda, who was an he absolute won a gold glove in left field. I'm not saying Jock Peterson has played in the outfield at times as well. I'm not suggesting that Nolan Gorman is going to be a plus defender in the outfield. He's not going to be. But Corey Dickerson and Juan Yepes spent significant time in the outfield for the Cardinals and started in the outfield in the playoffs for this team this year. They're pretty good. Nolan Gorman will. I am very confident of this. Be uh, better hey, be careful, defensively man. in the outfield B-K-O, than B-K-O. either Juan Yepes or Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson couldn't throw. Juan Yepes couldn't. He just wasn't Whoa. an outfielder. Oh. 
the reason why I would like to see this is because I do think it gives him a little bit more value to this team. If you just banish him to being a pure designated hitter, I don't think you're extracting the full value of what he could be for you next year. So use him as an outfielder. It doesn't have to be every day. Doesn't have to be as a starter, although it could be. The left-handed bat that gives you pop and hits the ball hard, that is what this team has been missing. We're talking about who they could acquire. Joey Gallo, Jock Peterson. What if you have that guy internally who can be exactly what you're looking for going into the offseason? And oh, by the way, he's cheap for the next five years. I see your list, but T-Bone, remind me how this went in the past with former Cardinal infielders that played in the outfield. Okay, okay. Matt Adams? Uh, This guy is not like Matt Matt Adams. That is not the same. That is very much not the same. Them putting him in center field was just ridiculous. I, I, he had never played out there, and they were like, hey, regular season, let's see what he does. Didn't no. a former manager say Tommy Edmond could play center fielder for the team? Yep. Where did that former manager I think now? the current manager also suggested yeah. that he uh, was like third on the depth chart. By the way, he actually got a game in center field this year. Yeah. Didn't look too good. He's uh, fine. Uh, look, uh, if they decide to put Nolan Gorman in the outfield as the, okay, it's a getaway day and we need a spot for him, fine. If the, if he plays more than fifty games in the outfield this season, I, I'm I, I would be concerned. Why? Because he's not an outfielder. Why? He's not an outfielder. T- tell me, like I need I need a firm answer as to why he can't play out there. When I just gave because you a list of guys who because have. we've done this before no, with we average outfielders and it hasn't worked. You just but named all who? these guys that are out in the outfield. That's fine, but those guys are hitting. But Gorman, your hope is that if he's not hitting, then he's certainly not a designated hitter for you. Okay, if he's hitting. So if we get to the point where he's hitting, then that's fine. But if he's hitting last year, why can't I use him as a DH? Because you've got Juan Yepes there. But why can't you have two guys play DH? See, I think Yepes is going to be a better, and I know that Ollie just says he catches the ball, which, you know, it's fair. But uh, I think Yepes will ultimately be a better defender than Gorman out in the outfield. And that's why I say Gorman is is DH. Let's try it. But you're all about these platoons, BK, of like, use him against lefties, and you've got guys that you could do that with on the DH side of things. Yepes doesn't have splits. And so if you're going to have Yepes... Gorman can only hit one pitcher. Yeah, he, he hits righties, which is 70% of the pitchers. It sounds like a DH, and then when the lefties come in, but Juan Yepes is coming out but there. But Yepes doesn't have—what I'm saying here is that Juan Yepes does not have significant splits. And so you're going to have him as your everyday DH because he hits both righties and lefties very well. I'm not taking him out of the lineup. I think he's your five-hole hitter going into next season. He's your DH every day. He is not Albert Pujols. I want to make that very clear. But he is essentially going to replace Albert Pujols as your everyday designated hitter going into next season. In left field, this is assuming that Tyler O'Neill is not back with the team, which I think we're all kind of on board with right now, barring something unforeseen. You're outfield next year. You're going to need somebody to be out there to be able to mix in. Again, not saying it's an everyday thing for him. He'll still get some opportunities at second base, I would imagine. He'll still get some opportunities in the outfield and at designated hitter, which you're talking about there. But why not give him let's say 50, 60 games, whatever it might be, give him some opportunities out there. I just don't understand what the, I don't understand why that is something that should be completely written off. I just don't think this team needs to go into the season and have projects still. And that's what this is. This is a project of a guy that, well, we think he could be an outfielder. Like, I think you need to solidify this team to where we're done saying, well, we can put him here if we need to. Like, I'm not sitting here advocating Mason Wynn needs to be up in this team playing outfield because he's a shortstop right away. Give him a little bit more opportunities to work in the outfield if that's the position he's so going what to. Do you, what is the alternative with Gorman? He's just I, an everyday designated hitter? Yeah. I, I, I disagree, and I, I know I've brought this up before when we've had conversations like this. I disagree on the notion that you can't... You said that um, 
you don't you don't get the maximum value out of Nolan Gorman if he's not a guy that can play the field as well. I disagree on that. I I think you can have guys that are just DH hitters that can be va- great value to a team, and I think that will be Nolan Gorman's role. I think you actually maximize Nolan Gorman's uh, value by just make having him focus on his hitting, having him be a bat, having him be a left-handed guy that can be a thirty home run guy that just plays DH because I don't think defense will. And, and this could change because he's still young, but I'm not what sure if he's defense okay ever defensively in, in in the outfield. But I'm just not sure he's ever going to be average defensively Might at any be. position. But That's what's the thing. what's the harm in trying? Like in spring training, what is the harm in saying, "Hey, let let's find out if this guy can do it." And if he if he is merely average, it does add value to him as a player. If he's an average outfield of elder uh, outfielder defensively, and he can give you basically what Jock Peterson has been offensively. I think you look for more certainty in the outfield and use Yepes as being that guy that kind of sprinkles in to the outfield. That's my whole argument for it. I like I, if they do it, it shouldn't be I, now Schwarber's a different story because Schwarber's in the outfield because Harper's dealing with the injuries. He's going to have off-season surgeries to get him right so he can go into the outfield. Jock Peterson is the comp. Jock's probably the he comp. He played 100 games in left field last year for the Giants. I understand that they sunk, but he he is going to be a guy that probably gets $16 million again, for a five-year deal this, this he, offseason. He's a guy to me that you maximize his value by him just being a DH. To me, I would not want him starting in my outfield most days. And I, I understand what you're saying of Gorman maybe sprinkles in there. That's fine. But I, I agree with Alex. It shouldn't go into a project with the season of Gorman being a, okay, let's see what he looks like in the outfield. I think they need to look for more certainty in the outfield. I've said that all year long. And I, I know some people say, well, run it back with Tyler O'Neill. He was an MVP candidate a year ago. Tyler O'Neill can't stay healthy, and his baseball reference card just goes up and down like a roller coaster. So I I think they look for more certainty, and if you do that, say you bring in a Brandon Nimmo uh, or a, we'll just say, Andrew Benintendi. Well, now I've got an outfield of Benintendi, Carlson, and Newt or Walker until when Walker's ready. And then I've also got Yepes that I think sprinkles out there more than what Nolan Gorman does because I think they'll focus him being the guy that splits at second and at DH. I I just think he will ultimately be better off in his career if his main focus is as a DH and then wherever that position may be elsewhere, I don't really care. I think they have so many DHs that I agree with the 618. If that is what your future is for him, I think you trade him this offseason while his value is still at the peak potential for him. That's what I would do. I I personally would like to see him get opportunities in the outfield and mix in at DH and at second base. If what you're saying is true, though, Tanner, and it very well may be, they should trade him this offseason to extract as much value as possible and get somebody that is an everyday player for him. Coming up in 15 minutes, what does the inability to click with Jordan Cairo mean for the future of Ryan O'Reilly here in St. Louis? We'll get to that coming up at 1230. Keith Law, baseball writer for The Athletic, joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line to be joined by Keith Law. He's a baseball writer over at The Athletic. You can follow his work at Keith Law as well. Keith, we appreciate the time as always, man. I know you've seen some of the Arizona Fall League this year. I, I want to start with the guy that is, as you can imagine, received a lot of the headlines here in St. Louis. What do you see from Jordan Walker? And does he seem pretty close to you to being ready for the big leagues? Yeah, I think that's fair, even if he's not 
necessarily going to come up and be a superstar right away. You can see the superstar feeling. He's got a really great approach. He's got a great body. You can see what a good athlete he is. Um, I, I was probably most impressed by the quality of the at-bats, which has been something that's marked him really since he made his full season debut at the beginning of last year. Because when he was first drafted out of high school by uh, scout Charles Peterson, who unfortunately passed away later that very summer from COVID, the biggest question I think even Cardinals folks had was, how good a hitter is he? They knew they were drafting an incredible athlete, a great kid, a guy with huge upside, but no one really knew how well he'd hit and how well he'd adapt to pro pitching immediately. But one thing he has shown very consistently as he's moved up the ladder, and I would include the fall league in that too, is that he does have great ball strike recognition. He's pretty shown pretty well that he can pick up different pitch types, at least at these varying levels. And I think that's the best possible thing you could see in a player whose athletic gifts and offensive upside were already there. We didn't have questions about that. He just has gone out and at every single level of the minors answered the biggest question that we already had. Keith, the other question that Cardinals fans have regarding that uh, Arizona Fall League is Mason Wynn. And I mean, we've seen the elite athlete he is at shortstop and his ability to make plays defensively. And we've had the conversations of the Cardinals possibly being in the free agent market for one of these shortstops due to the bat. In your opinion, can Mason Wynn be an outfielder for this team? Oh, that's a terrible idea. I, <laughs> God, you. I've never heard anybody suggest, like, he could be an elite defensive shortstop. He has probably the best throwing arm I've ever personally seen on a shortstop. I mean, this is Rafael for Cal territory in terms of his throwing. He had the hardest recorded throw ever by StatCast for, I think, for an infielder, actually. Never mind just a shortstop. Uh, he's hyper-athletic. I think he's going to have tremendous range. I think there's some polished experience needed, but that's not surprising for a guy his age. And the bat's going to play, but it's going to play a lot better in the infield. This isn't Jordan Walker. He's not going to be a 25-30 home run guy. I think he's going to end up an average OBP guy with a little bit of power, but he's not as far along as Walker is, and he's not as physically developed as Walker is, too. Walker is big. He's already big. Um, you can look at Jordan Walker and see like Jason Hayward at the same age, whereas Wynn isn't there yet. And it would not surprise me if Wynn just needed some more time to fill out because I think the, his approach is actually pretty good. I think I saw him walk more than I saw him do anything else in the fall league, which is also a commentary on the pitching out there. But you've got to keep Wynn at shortstop because any other position just takes away so much of the value that he can provide for you. With that in mind then, Keith, would that preclude you from being in on this shortstop class if you're the Cardinals? Well, no, because there's another, there's sort of a a third option here, which is if you really like one of these shortstops and you've decided that having production from shortstop in 2023 is paramount, you go get a shortstop and you trade Mason Wynn for something else. And I understand you know, we, we all like to hug our prospects. They may not necessarily be looking for, you know, Cardinals fans may not want to hear that you're trading Mason Wynn. But if you put Mason Wynn out on the trade market, a lot of guys are going to be available. You're going to shake a lot of players loose. Maybe that's Sean Murphy from the A's who would, I don't know that the Cardinals need a catcher or that they're definitely looking for a catcher. But, hey, if they decided to, I think you start a package with Wynn, you can get a Sean Murphy. You can get a Brian Reynolds from the Pirates. There are a lot of players you could get if Wynn is the top player in the package you're offering. We're talking with Keith Law here on 101 ESPN. It's interesting you mentioned catcher. I wanted to go there with you, Keith, because I, I think that is one of the top priorities for this team going into the offseason is addressing the catcher position. If you were in Mo's shoes, 
And obviously, we, we don't know what it's going to take. You mentioned Sean Murphy. Another guy we've talked about is Jansen from Toronto as well. Uh, maybe those guys would be available via trade. Maybe you go out there and you say, you know what? We, we've we already had Yadier Molina the last couple of years We where he wasn't hitting. We can go get a Martin Maldonado. We can get a Barnhart. One of those guys that's mostly glove. Or you could go make the big move and sign Wilson Contreras for big-time money. If you're in most shoes, which of those directions do you think you would prioritize at catcher? I cannot imagine this Cardinals team, the way that they have obviously have had Johnny and Molina forever. Wilson Contreras is kind of the opposite, right? Yeah. More, mostly bat, very little glove. Um, I have Contreras as the top catching free agent by a huge margin. He's the only catcher on the market I think is absolutely an everyday player. Everyone else is flawed, injury prone, can't play every day. So if you're looking for an everyday guy, it's Contreras or it's the trade market. But the Cardinals also have Yvonne Herrera. And, I mean, at least talking to people in their organization for years, they've been very high on him. Other scouts are very high on him. He is a pretty high-contact guy, um, which is a great skill to see in a young hitter, especially if you think he's going to grow into some more power. He definitely stays behind the plate. So maybe you go get Martin Maldonado or somebody like that, or Mike Zanino, or um, I feel like there's another really good defensive catcher who didn't make my top 50, but who could be a 60 games catching next year, maybe more. And you split time with Herrera so that you're not just handing him the everyday job. That's the other possibility for the Cardinals, depending on what they see. If this were a stronger catching market in free agency, that could be very different. But I think it's more like, like I said, I just, I don't, I'd be very surprised if they were interested in Contreras at what he's likely to cost. You could go trade or you could do what I suggested, get a one-year guy so that Herrera is not simply handed the catching job for 140 games. Keith, I think for me, the biggest thing that I'm looking at this offseason for the Cardinals is finding another bat to complement Goldschmidt and Arenado. And we brought up the shortstops. You mentioned Wilson Contreras. Is there a name that intrigues you this offseason that you feel like the Cardinals could be a good match for to get that bat? Well, they should go get Aaron Judge, obviously. Oh, okay. That's the only Good. answer. Yeah, Sounds great. Go get him, right? yeah, it fixes it a lot fun. of things, doesn't it? It certainly does, and it will get fans in the seats. There's no question <laughs> about that. They would, they, would be, they would be the favorites to win the division if they did that. There are a couple of interesting bats up top. I mean, outfield is the place where they can do this, right? They have That's the one spot, I think, where they don't have a prospect and they don't have an established star where they could put someone out there. And to me, Dylan Carlson is the one guy out there where I still believe in him. I said he'd break out this past year. Based on my history of breakout predictions, it means he's going to break out next year instead. I'm pretty good at being a year off on that stuff. He's the one guy you say, he fits somewhere and we can upgrade elsewhere. So maybe that's going to get like a Brandon Nimmo. I know there's these reports of the Rockies opening up the bank for him, but who knows? Like maybe he'd prefer to go play for a contender also. And I think with what Nimmo's, done the last two years, especially if you believe he can play, be more durable going forward, which is a big if, but he's probably the next most interesting position player out free agent outfielder after judge in this market. And I don't know how strong Nemo's market will be because I think everyone acknowledges what a good player he is, but he's only had two truly full injury free seasons so far. And that may keep the price down a little bit to allow a club like the Cardinals to stay in the mix. 
t- talk to us a little bit about Nimmo, Keith, because I'm I think I'm probably the president of the Brandon Nimmo fan club here in St. Louis. Oh, and the reaction yeah. that I get most of the time is, oh, come on. That's that is not the bat that this team is needing. Yeah. It's super high on base. Been pretty good from a contact mm-hmm. perspective in his career. You look at the OPS yeah. plus and he's like 30 percent above league average when he's been healthy. I mean, the production yeah. has certainly been there and he's at least an average, maybe above average outfielder defensively as well. What is your perspective of Nimmo, and how risky do you think a signing that would be, given the injury history that you mentioned? Well, the, the, I'll just start with the risk. Yeah, it's, it's reasonably high risk, right? This guy's been hurt a lot, all the way going back to, remember when he, I saw him in the draft multiple times, he torn his ACL, I think, as a sophomore in high school. It might have been a football injury, and wasn't even, was a sophomore or junior, even by spring of his senior year, wasn't really running that well. And he's had some on and off knee injuries, other injuries. I think it's fair to say he's been injury prone, but that's the only negative I see. He is a super high on base guy and it is very legit. It's walks and contact and um, very, very good understanding of the strike zone. And, and I agree, he can play center. And I think he's very, very good if you have to put him in a corner because you have somebody better in center. The thing I like most about Nemo, the first three, four years of his major league career, I said, this guy's an, he's a platoon player, right? He is not a regular because he can't hit lefties. And the last two years, especially, he got better against lefties to the point where he's clearly an everyday guy. And I, I love when players, especially when they get to the big leagues and continue to make adjustments like that. And it is not just this, that superficially he had better performance against lefties. The at-bats were better. The underlying data is better. The exit velocity, everything went up. And to me, that points to a guy who he's clearly an everyday player and an above average one. And I give him a better chance to make some adjustments. If you give him say a five-year deal, now you're talking about him getting into his mid thirties when he might slow down a little bit. I would much rather bet on a guy who's already shown he can make adjustments to continue to make adjustments. Uh, Keith, I know it's still early because the World Series is going on, but you, you know St. Louis, when offseason hits, they're they're fully engaged in it. Uh, right. what, what would you deem a successful offseason for the Cardinals? You've got to get, I guess I was going to say free agent, but it really doesn't have to be free agent. Somewhere, they need, they need another big bat. I think that's fair, and I think outfield is the place for it. If they said we're going to do a stopgap at short and we're going to do some kind of job-sharing solution behind the plate, I'm fine with that. I actually think that's okay. And I would say a bat for the outfield, whether it's free agency or trade and some depth starting, starting pitching, because I look at their rotation. I think the rotation could be a strength, but I worry about just bulk innings because of durability. Cause you've got a lot of guys in that rotation. You're counting on to give you a lot of innings to make 30 starts, but who don't have great histories of doing so. And so adding some starting depth, Now, I think, you know, through the back end of free agency, less expensive guys would be great. I also threw out, I did a Q&A on The Athletic yesterday. I think I threw out the name Taiwan Walker as a guy who's not going to be super expensive, tends to fit the profile, I think, of guys that the Cardinals have liked. Um, And a guy who I also think if you get him into their organization, based on what they've done with some similar guys, they might be able to get him, you know, 5% better, 10% better. And then it's a good deal for everyone. He's getting the but by far the most money of his career, but also the Cardinals get good return on their investment. 
One final question that I've got for Keith Law. You can find his work over at The Athletic. It is well worth your time. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Keith Law. Keith, we've had a lot of conversations about Nolan Gorman, and I think you can make a pretty strong argument. This was a successful rookie season for him. He was like 15% mm-hmm. above league average offensively. The strikeouts were still there, but that's going to be part of his profile. And he had 15 home runs. That's that's Nolan Gorman that we expected. I think the question that a lot of fans and certainly that I have about Gorman's future here specifically with this team is let's go under a scenario that they do either have Mason win up by the end of the year or they go out and add that shortstop that we've been talking about. Now you've probably got Tommy Edmond over at second base. You've also got Brendan Donovan, who I think is a better defender at second than Gorman was at least this year. What do you think Nolan Gorman in St. Louis, what is his future position in your mind? Do you think it's at second? Can it be in the outfield? Is he going to eventually have to transition to DH? Where do you think he fits? He's too good of an athlete for me to say he's eventually going to be a DH. And I, I saw him going way back to high school, multiple stops in the minors. I think he was in fall league a year ago. I definitely saw him at some point in 21 playing second base and thought, Oh, that's better than I thought it would be. He, he, probably can stay there. And then I think he was actually the worst defensive shortstop in baseball this year by outs above average, which is the stat cast defensive metric. So he's the best one we have on the public side. Um, he's just not very good there. And if you were, if this were the pirates, they could say, we're going to give him two more years there and try to work with him, try to improve his defense. Players do get better. Nolan Arenado being the best example. He was a below average defender in double a at third base. And the year, a year later, he's in the majors and he's a gold glover. So I'm not giving up on Gorman. And I do think Gorman is a, certainly a good enough athlete to get better. But again, it kind of comes back to, uh, I was talking about this with uh, shortstop earlier in our conversation. If the goal is to be as good as possible in 2023, it might involve Gorman being in an outfield corner. And I see no reason he can't be uh, at least an average defender in left or right. That would be more a matter of expediency, right? We're just trying to have the best defensive club we can in 23. And that means having somebody else like Edmund at second base and Gorman in a corner outfield spot. Do you think he could, I'm just saying this name because it's a guy that gets a lot of pub here in St. Louis as even a potential option this off season, Keith, but could he be your Jock Peterson facsimile in the left field? Sure. I think he's a better, I think there's more upside than that, but yeah. Could he do that? Like in a short period of time, I guess you're saying, could he do that for you in 23? Yes. I think long-term Gorman's a better player than that because Gorman is, if, if Nolan Gorman doesn't end up a 30 homer guy, I'm not really sure. We, you know, there's so many, so many things would have to go wrong for that to happen. But in the short term, that kind of production, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing the Cardinals should least do, right? They don't need to shop in the Jock Peterson bin at the free agent store because they have a bunch of guys like that who are part-time outfielders. They can move around. You either go get a star for the outfield or you don't. You just simply don't and say we're going to roll with what we have because our guys are at least as good as the Jock Petersons uh, of this free agent market. Keith, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll be checking out your work over at The Athletic, following you on Twitter at Keith Law, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as this free agency period really starts rolling. Yeah, my pleasure. You got it. That's Keith Law joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him joining us. I, I, 
You know, Alex, like everything he was just saying, that's what I've been saying all offseason. Yeah, there's a so, reason we had Keith Law yeah. on today and that Nolan Gorman segment was in our show. <laughs> you you know that I'm in full agreement with what he just said he there. He also said that uh, they need a big bat this offseason and said Brandon Nimmo. So, eh. yeah, exactly. Is there anything in particular that we just heard from Keith Law that stood out to you as being particularly interesting and in, as it pertains to the Cardinals? I mean, the Mason Wynn thing I thought was interesting because I, I've, I've said it and look, I'm not just the one throwing that out there. BT has mentioned Mason Mason Wynn can be an outfielder for you. And he was very adamant about him not being a shortstop or not being anything other than a shortstop. But he also said you need a big bat. And I know he was joking with the Aaron Judge thing because we don't see that possible. But you've got to get a big bat. He said that. I think it's crazy to suggest that this team would sign Aaron Judge because, as we mentioned earlier, I don't think I've. I can't think of a position player that is a superstar that this team has signed in their prime. Like, yeah, like as a free agent, it, it's never happened. And now they're just going to do it with a guy that's going to cost three hundred million dollars. Right. But, but see, like, could they? But here's sure, the thing. I'm in everything that Keith just like Keith is bringing me through this like carnival maze with all of the mirrors. And I don't know how the hell to get out. <laughs> like at one minute, he's saying Mason Wynn is your shortstop and he is going to project to be the best option there. And then he's saying to trade the guy to go get something. And then he's saying, don't go get the shortstops. But he's saying you got to get a big bat. Like I just walked through a mirror maze and I'm going to vomit afterwards. Welcome man. To the Cardinals offseason. Damn. <laughs> I was saying, the biggest thing for me is I disagree on the notion of, well, if you sign one of those shortstops, you should look to trade Mason and win. I, I think just, he's your second baseman if you I, sign one of those shortstops. Or the second, or the shortstop yeah. is the second baseman. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, that's why I'm so intrigued by Xander Bogarts because all of those other guys don't project to be second baseman. Bogarts is a perfect second baseman for you. And like, if a guy like Trey Turner, who was acquired by the Dodgers as a shortstop when they had Corey Seager on their team, can play second base for a half a season, there's no reason to believe if Mason wins up becoming 100%. a star that they can't also have a shortstop on the roster as well. It's especially now with no shifts. Like, it actually adds more value to having that superstar defensive it, player potentially at base. And this isn't a shot against Keith Law, and I almost fear that the Cardinals have the same mindset too. But it almost feels like old school thinking of baseball. Of oh, I have a shortstop in my system. He's going to be up here and be a shortstop next year, so I don't need to go get a guy on a six-year deal. No, it should be, okay, I have a guy that could be my future shortstop, but I need something now in 2023 that's an impact bet. Where does that come from? It comes from the shortstop position. I can get him, and I can figure out what the hell I'm going to do with Mason Wynn later on. And if you're going to say that Nolan Gorman's a great athlete and can play in the outfield, although he said he doesn't think that's a permanent thing because he'd be fine at second base, then Mason Wynn is the same category for me. He's an even better athlete from what we're hearing. I I think that I like fully am on board with it. Most of what he said in that the the one the one place that I really agree with him is I don't think this team needs to add an average outfielder. I think this team yeah. needs to add a if they're going to add a bat in the outfield. I I know that his name is not sexy and nobody wants to hear it because I've mentioned it so many times. But I think it's either Nimmo or Judge, and I think that's probably it. Like you could make an argument. I could I could hear Alex's thing on Conforto. And I can go down that path with you where you sign him to a one-year deal and maybe he gives you that superstar stat line at the end of the year because he has been there before. I, I get that. But but of, if you're going to do Nolan Gorman in the outfield, then, then you don't need that's, Conforto. That's your Conforto. Yeah. Like you, you now have Conforto in the outfields, or at least you hope you do, with Nolan Gorman. And so it all comes back to if you're willing to move Nolan Gorman to the outfield, and I think this is why it's such an important conversation, not just for us to have, but for the Cardinals to have internally – it opens up that middle infield spot for that shortstop that we're talking about. And it opens up that second base spot potentially for Mason Wynn. And then eventually like, is Tommy Edmond a trade chip for them? Maybe is Brendan Donovan, the guy that is your Chris Taylor, where he's just playing all over the diamond. Maybe 
those are stuff that we can talk about in 2024 going into that offseason. Right now, all of the moving pieces that the Cardinals have available to them line up in that they can go out there and get a superstar at shortstop and maybe add a stud at, at catcher, and that might be the offseason. Like maybe that's it. Maybe just add Turner, Bogarts, or Correa, and then you add Wilson Contreras or trade for one of those top-end catchers, and you say, let's ride. That's it. That's all we need to do. Broncos country. Let's ride. Cardinals See, country. Actually, let's it's ride. Cardinals country. Let's fly. God, come on, man. Coming up in 15 Cardinals minutes, we'll dive ride. into the junk shore. What does Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo, their inability to click together, what does it mean for Ryan O'Reilly's future, if anything, in St. Louis? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think it's going to be a good fit for us. Um, you know, he always, he's obviously been playing great. I think his energy, his physicality, you know, he's making something happen every shift. So I think it's, you know, something hopefully we can generate. And um, it's, you know, going to be a hard work in line and hopefully uh, be hard to play against. And like I said, yeah, generate some, some offense from that. That was Ryan O'Reilly yesterday when asked what it's going to be like playing with Noel Achari. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Blues blended up the lines yesterday at practice, and the expectation is the Ryan O'Reilly line will now be O'Reilly, Achari, and Braden Shin. It's called the Achenley line. Okay, whatever you want to call it, that is fine by me. Achenley. Don't make that your day job. It's not. It's my night job. I do that for the Blues broadcasts. (laughs) Alex, I am curious. Because Ryan O'Reilly, they started out the season trying to make it work with him and Jordan Cairo. And it clearly just didn't click for whatever reason. Some of that, like the underlying numbers actually weren't all of the, all, all that bad. They were getting scoring opportunities. They were putting the puck on the net. It just it wasn't going in. And this is a game where the results dictate the decisions. And the decision now is to get Jordan Cairo off of that line, put Nolachari up there. First of all, I like that that pairing. I like O'Reilly with Achari, given what we've seen so far this year from Nolachari and the way that he plays. I think it's a good fit. That being said, Jordan Cairo, right, wrong, or indifferent, is a huge piece of what the future of the St. Louis Blues is going to be. They gave him that eight-year deal worth more than $60 million for a reason this offseason. They think he and Robert Thomas, I think Doug Armstrong actually said this, the Blues will go in the future as those two go. What does it mean, if anything, in your mind? that Ryan O'Reilly wasn't able to click on a line with Jordan Cairo. Do you think that influences their decision with O'Reilly at all moving forward? Uh, Yes. I mean, I think it has to because you look at the outlook of your team and you say, okay, well, if O'Reilly's not clicking with Jordan Cairo and Jordan Cairo is the guy of the future for us, then where does O'Reilly fit into our plans? And I'm not saying I agree with this, but I mean, let's look at the evidence here. Jordan Cairo, let's say he clicks with Robert Thomas on this kid line that they're going with. And then next season, either that line is still together or Buchnevich is playing with those two. You have Shen already locked up. You know Thomas is now making $8.125 million. And if Ryan O'Reilly's not meshing with Jordan Cairo, and Cairo and Thomas have put together and you don't have Vladimir Tarasenko anymore... Do, do do is Ryan O'Reilly being paid to be a third line center? Is Braden Shen being paid to be a third line center? Like I don't think it's O'Reilly and Kyrou meshing together. I think it will come down to O'Reilly or more goal scoring in the offseason for this team. But if Jordan Kyrou meshes with Robert Thomas, then the question becomes 
is this team successful with Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen down the middle and then we find pieces to add on the wings? Or is this team more successful to just have a top two line of Braden Shen and Robert Thomas as our centerman and then get another scoring winger for those two and figure it out in the bottom two lines? 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. BK, I think you're saying it backwards here. Kairou was the issue. Number 90 has never been an issue in St. Louis, and he certainly has not been with Jordan Kairou. I, I understand where I mean, you're He coming hasn't from been that. an issue prior to this season. Totally with you. He's also had David Perron playing with him prior to this season. And I I do wonder if they look at O'Reilly right now and say, I'm not saying he was a creation of David Perron. I think those two were at their best with one another. I absolutely believe that. I I think O'Reilly's an excellent hockey player. Excellent. Defensively, he's awesome. Offensively, he creates for others. He's awesome. He's great with the puck. Like He is everything you could possibly want for a guy to be. But they've got some hard decisions to make in the offseason. And as much as I, I tend to agree, Kyrou was definitely the bigger issue on that line than Ryan O'Reilly was. Kyrou is also a bigger part of this team's future than Ryan O'Reilly is. And I know that sounds weird to say because O'Reilly is the captain. He's the guy that that held the trophy over his head because he was a driving force in that Stanley Cup as opposed to Jordan Kyrou, who was not. I get all of the disclaimers here, but this team made its bet with Jordan Kyrou. And now they got to live with that decision. And so if that means that in the offseason, they've got to find somebody like you're saying, Alex, that maybe fits better with where this team is heading in the future. I think that's a it's at least got to be something that we are reconciling with right now. It's something we've got to be considering of what is this season going to mean for Ryan O'Reilly's future? Are they going to be willing to pay him five million dollars a year if he's going to be your third line shutdown centerman? Or does it make more sense to spend allocate those resources elsewhere? I'm not saying it does or doesn't, but I do think that the first eight, nine games of the season, it hasn't gone in the direction that I was hoping for it to go. Here's who do you guys think played the most minutes with Ryan O'Reilly in the 2018-19 season? David Perron. No, you come on, man. I set that up as well as BK sets these things up. I know. I felt like a trick question, but I fell for a trick yesterday <laughs> off air and I figured it was the same thing. It's Vladimir Tarasenko. Like O'Reilly surprises me. O'Reilly and David Perron, according to natural stats. Is that, isn't that because Perron was hurt that year, right? Um, if you would have given me that caveat, I would have had a better answer. Yeah, Perron missed 25 games that season, so I think that's a pretty significant uh, part of why. Understandable, but O'Reilly and Perron only played 327 minutes together, whereas O'Reilly and Tarasenko played 700 minutes together. So, like, I mean, that that takes out the 25 minutes. Now, in the postseason, they played together, but where I'm going with this is, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on the sense that O'Reilly was not a product of David Perron. O'Reilly has made other guys better. He was on a successful line in the postseason with Zach Sanford. I, I mean, well, come on. O'Reilly makes other players better. Like, I there's agree. no coincidence with that. But I, I do think you have to get a little bit more of the same identity with Ryan O'Reilly, and that's not Jordan Cairo. What I would love to see, and I've said this all along, I'd love to see Pavel Buchnevich play with Ryan O'Reilly because I think that duo could create a lot of offense. And heck, I, I thought the last two games when it got into crunch time for Craig Berube, O'Reilly was playing with Buchnevich and Tarasenko, and that line created a lot of offense. Now, it didn't score, but you're creating the offense. So I, I don't know if they're tied together in the sense of O'Reilly and Cairo, and if that doesn't click, well, then you're moving on from Ryan O'Reilly. I just think you've got to find the right chemistry for Cairo. And I would imagine the hope from Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube is O'Reilly and whomever go together, but then Thomas and Cairo become that duo and we'll figure it out with Ryan O'Reilly. But uh, again, like uh, you're setting yourself up to look at the future of this team in the sense of, do we opt to go strength down the middle moving forward? 
or do we opt to go find that goal scoring? Because if Kairou's the 30-goal scorer, and if you're taking out Vladimir Tarasenko and Buchnevich is a 30-goal scorer, and you're taking out Ivan Barbashev, your goal scoring starting to diminish pretty quickly, and you can't rely on the younger guys to come through like we've been hoping so far this season. Yeah, I, I think that this is a situation somebody on the text line also brings up um, that uh, the, the problem with Ryan O'Reilly is almost entirely that he was trying to hold up Jordan Cairo. I, I think this is where I would where I'd go with this. I agree with you, Alex, that the, the pairing moving forward, and we've been saying this for a while now, and I think the Blues have known it internally as well. It, it's Cairo and Thomas. Th- those are the two that are going to be the together. The, the problem is you, you now have to find somebody to play with Ryan O'Reilly. And if you if you can't get that chemistry going, and I think eventually they will because Ryan O'Reilly is an excellent player and he, he's going to, as you mentioned, prop up guys around him. I, I really like this Achari line with him. If you can't find that guy that clicks with O'Reilly at some point this year, then you have to ask the question, do we need to sign O'Reilly and finding a guy that can click with him going into next year? And are we willing to commit to both of those contracts? Or does it make more sense for us to start a new, start fresh, and kind of recreate a new line there? And that's these are the hard decisions that Doug Armstrong has to make. I don't envy him for having to make them. I would like to see O'Reilly back with this team. But I do think that the first eight games of the season, we're, we're 10% through, there's a lot of season left to play. It's provided this team with more questions than it has answers in terms of the long-term future of Ryan O'Reilly in St. Louis. Real quick, the one thing Blues fans have to ask themselves going down that path is, are you confident in your strength down the middle without Ryan O'Reilly? And it's Thomas and Shen. That's, and, that's where you're at right now. And then you're going to be going to the free agent market to sign somebody else because Logan Brown doesn't seem to be that guy. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk to Ben Heisler about what he's expecting from the NFL weekend. Hopefully he can help us with our picks going into the weekend. We'll do that coming up at 1 o'clock. The Junk Drawer, though, is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Hey, Alex, I want to hear what you would do if your daughter, when she was 19 years old, did this. This time for the junk drawer here on 101 like, ESPN. seems like it's going to lead to prison. According to a uh, headline on Yahoo News, a woman's kids destroyed her boyfriend's house. They poured cement down the toilet. That is only part of what they did. I will wow. now read the first paragraph. Hold on. The, a woman's kids did this to a boyfriend's house. The, uh, to her boyfriend's house. Correct. The mom's boyfriend or the, or the girl's? Okay. The mom's boyfriend. Okay. A woman's children, quote, destroyed her boyfriend's house by pouring cement down the toilet, nailed a door to the roof, ripped a electrical wires out of the wall, and caused up to $200,000 in damage. They have since sold the house for $17,000 because of how much damage was done inside of the home. The son is 19 years old. The mother, for what it's worth, was in prison. And she was talking about how she's mad at the the boyfriend and said, I could go over there and rip the house to shreds. Okay, hold and on. Of course, that's why they decided to do it. I'm confused by the story. So it was a mom's daughter's mom's sons. Oh, sons, I'm asking not, if, yours, gotcha. if your daughters did so, this. It, so did the mom's boyfriend do something to her that led to this? 
home wrecking well, situation. She's, she's in prison. Don't worry about all the semantics of what the the family feud well, no, was. I don't know why my kid went over there and did that because if there's reason, like if if I don't know if there was abuse involved with this or, or no, this, no, 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 no. There, there's nothing. They about just that decided in to go over and pour concrete down his toilet because it'd be fun. Yes. <laughs> then my kids need to go to prison <laughs> because that I don't got the money to fix that, and that's that was your decision. The 19-year-old was charged with vandalism somewhere between uh, $60,000 yeah. and $250,000, according to the affidavit. Yep. He's booked into jail on October 31st. I can't, I, I can't complain there. Yeah, enjoy that, because if this was a prank, then you des- if you do the if you do the situation, you're going to suffer the repercussions. You do the crime, you do the time. That's no, that's what not what for. I was trying to say. <laughs> Can you imagine? Out a little bit. <laughs> Tanner, imagine if you're on Tinder and you're, you're dating this woman. Okay. And she comes over and pours her, her concrete kids. down your toilet. <laughs> come to your place after you got into an argument and let's also assume you're a homeowner now well Ugh, man there's a lot of assumptions here hundred thousand dollars in damage to your home your toilets have concrete in them yeah i'm pressing your doors charges. are on your roof you no longer have any working wiring throughout your entire home because they have ripped, ripped all of ru- that out a, a ru- Electric. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into Believe It or Not. 65780 is the air cover service X line for Believe It or Not. Ben Heisler's next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Eisler of Betsided here momentarily. We'll get his thoughts not only on tonight's game in the NFL, but also this weekend slate. Uh, there's a few compelling games, Alex. One of them that I'm really curious about. Do you see what the line is for the Green Bay Packers at the Detroit Lions? Have you seen this one yet? It's got to be and like. If you haven't, don't look no, it up. No, I yet. haven't, but it's got to be like 21 or something like that. What would you guess is that the Packers are favored, as you'd expect. What would you guess they're favored by on the road in Detroit? 17 and a half points. Three and a half. What? Three and a half points. Get the if blank out of here. If that doesn't tell you how bad things are going right now for the Green Bay Packers, I don't know. I what don't does. care how bad things are going for the Green Bay Packers. The Lions can't stop anything. And then on top of it, they just traded away one of their weapons. Cardinals at home against the Seahawks. What would you guess the line is on that one? Cardinals at home against the Seahawks. Um, I would say Seahawks five and three Cardinals three and five six, in Arizona. Six points for Seattle. Like, they're the favorite. Arizona's a two-point favorite at home. There are some I lines. I can see that, though. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, well, I can see eight that. points away from what you suggested. I can so. see that. I, I can see that, though. I don't that's think it's double No, you, just, you actually set that one up well com- compared to what you usually do. <laughs> okay, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Hopefully, Ben Heisler can help us make sense of some of these lines. Heis, we appreciate the time, as always, man. How you doing today? What's happening, fellas? Good to be with you. Heis, ask who, uh, who lost another week okay. in our punishment. I wasn't even do here I the last to, two weeks. Do I, I was going to say, do I have to at this point? No, absolutely not. You know who it is. He's lost six times already. Five. It's five. Oh, sorry. That's a big difference. Five out of the eight. Listen, every week, every week, every losing week, every winning week, yes, you have to make sure that you keep the difference noticeable. So, yes, it's it's understandable at this point. Yeah, it's gone poorly. Uh, we don't have to spend any more time on that. Heist, do you like a side in this game tonight? Eagles minus 13 and a half on the road against the horrible atrocity of football that is the Houston Texans? Oh, If there is a side, it's probably the Eagles, but only in the first half. They've been by far and away the best scoring team in the NFL in the first half. And then the second half, 
just because either they're bored or for whatever reason, the game just is not as compelling anymore. They kind of let teams hang around and you know, it's cost them a couple wins against the spread over the course of the year. So right now they're anywhere between seven, seven and a half uh, in the first half against Houston. That's probably the side that I would go to. The over under is probably right. I'd maybe lean towards the under with Houston, not having uh, Brandon cooks tonight. Uh, I just don't know how they're going to be able to move the football because you're not going to be do you're not going to be doing it running the ball even with somebody as talented as Damian Pierce. Um, just feels like this is a game to either take the Eagles in the first half and feel comfortable about it, or, or grab a couple props along the way that uh, stack up a little bit better. So, Heiss, explain this spread that uh, BK just brought up coming into the break. The Green Bay Packers are only favored by three and a half points against the Detroit Lions. Well, because both teams are bad right now. Like what, Green Bay what? can't be that bad, Heiss. Oh, but they can. Have you have you seen what the Packers <laughs> look like right now? I mean, Von Miller, this is interesting. I don't know if you guys caught this clip, but Von Miller was on Richard Sherman's podcast uh, earlier this week. And, and Von, in that game against Green Bay on, on Sunday Night Football, basically went up to Aaron Rodgers and said, you guys are down a lot. Like, why are you, why are you not throwing the ball? And, and Von said, I'm not going to say what he told me. Uh, but it's basically an indication that he just doesn't trust anybody that he's throwing to. And then with Alan Lazard being out, uh, I, I think that kind of got brought up even further. Um, there, there's just a whole lot of issues right now with this team offensively. Aaron Jones right now is your, is your second uh, best receiver as far as actual receptions go. And your tight end and Robert Tunyon is leading the team. Like you're, you're missing through the first eight weeks of the season last year. I think Devonte Adams had 58 receptions on, on maybe 70 something targets. Um, right now your leading receiver is Robert Tunyon with 35. Mm. Uh, so now you're asking a Green Bay team that, that feels a bit broken offensively with the exception of their running game to go out and score points against the Lions team that has some playmakers on offense. Like DeAndre Swift is legit. Amon Ross St. Brown, legit. They don't have TJ Hawkinson anymore, but you can run the ball against Green Bay. They're second most as far as opponent yards allowed this year to running backs. So it's actually a reasonable spread lions at home where they've actually been better as a covering team this year uh, against the Packers team that's lost four straight and uh, don't look anywhere near the level of confidence that they probably should be going into a game against the Lions. Another game that I'm honed in on uh heist. We're talking to Ben Heisler of bet sided here on one one ESPN Seahawks on the road at the Cardinals. I, uh, the NFC West this year has been very difficult to get a handle on in terms of the individual games against the spread in particular, I really like the Seahawks in this game. I think that they are the better team. It's only a two-point line in favor of Arizona. Where do you lean in this game? Everything tells you that the Seahawks are the right side, and yet this line hasn't continued to move more, and I, I kind of get the feeling like I'm about to walk into a trap. <laughs> um, you, you know what I mean? Like It, it doesn't make sense. Uh, Seattle has been terrific defensively over the last several games. Genesis isn't turning the ball over. He's making great throws downfield. Uh, Kenneth Walker, the third, had a, a bit of a rough start last week, but eventually was able to break through uh, in their win against a good team in the Giants, although a team that has been overachieving throughout the course of the year. But the, the line has only moved a point or so since where it opened, and they opened at Arizona minus three. And you also have the trend for the Cardinals that they can't cover at home with the exception of that game against New Orleans. And this is right around the time that we start to see the, the Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray fall off a cliff uh, that we've seen over the last few years. And, and for Kingsbury, that goes all the way back to his time at Texas Tech. 
you know, this second half of the year, he's terrible. Like in the Cardinals for a team that was the, had the best record in the NFL the first seven weeks last year, barely snuck into the postseason. So everything about this game tells me that Seattle's the right side and the right play. But the fact that the line hasn't moved anymore, I, I just don't know. I wanted to get the Seahawks at three before it moved down to two and a half and two. So what I did was I teased it. So for anybody that's unfamiliar with the teaser, you can take two teams, move the line six points in either direction. So now I, I have, I think, the Seahawks at plus eight and a half with the Bengals at uh, basically minus one. So that's kind of where I decided to go for that matchup in particular. It's just Seahawks are going to keep it close, but something feels weird about this game because everybody believes that the Seahawks are the better team here. Might as well throw the Dolphins in that teaser as well. Make them a, a money line favorite against yeah, your Bears. Yeah, I, the, the the play that I like in that game is actually a, a first half over, similar to what we were talking about before. Both the Dolphins and the Bears have two out of the three worst first half defenses oh. in total points allowed and in points per play. Uh, they're they're really bad in the first half, and then conversely, like they fix things in the second half. Both of these teams are, are top six, top eight in second half defense. So I, I think that's probably the play that you can go. Bears obviously getting rid of Roquan Smith. You saw the uninspired effort after they got rid of Robert Quinn last week against the good Dallas offense. Um, and Justin Fields, last couple of weeks, he's the quarterback three in fantasy. Uh, looks like they're starting to, to figure some things out offensively. And, and now you go ahead and trade for a guy like Chase Claypool. It's an indication that the Bears actually believe in, in what Fields might represent for the future. So, yeah, you can go ahead and do that with Miami, make them a pick em at this point. But I, I always prefer to, to use teasers through lines of seven or three. That's where you really get the most value. So it's on the board. Uh, if you want to throw that in there, but uh, probably not the, the direction that I would go. Hi, so I'm glad you brought up kind of the, the Bears in futures because I was just looking at this, and I'm not saying that I think it's going to happen, but the odds are plus 1,600 for the Bears to make the playoffs. And uh, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because of the trade that they did and because of how awful the NFC seems to be. Uh, are there any futures that you look at post-trade deadline and feel like that might be something to jump on? That's a really interesting question. What I what I found the most interesting about the trade deadline, uh, I don't know if you guys follow John Ewing, uh, who's a great follow on Twitter, especially if you're looking for, for betting trends and nuggets. Um, you know, long time at, at Action Network now works for BetMGM. But he basically indicated that despite all the moves from the trade deadline, the only team that actually saw their futures odds go up was the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, from, I think, plus 1,600 to plus 1,400. Um, that was the only team that moved, including the Miami Dolphins, at 30 to 1. You know, other books moved them, but, but BetMGM uh, was one that didn't. Now, you can look at FanDuel. You can look at some of the other books and see where they are. Definitely use FanDuel. No, DraftKings. DraftKings. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. In, in fact, you know, we, we love FanDuel here. Uh, <laughs> FanDuel is, is wonderful. It's a great boost. Um, but I, I would say Miami is certainly piquing my interest a team that's right now 18-1 to one to win the AFC, uh, because you don't make the moves that Miami makes unless you believe you're fully all in. And if they can shore up some of their issues, especially in the pass rush, their, their secondary is good. They just haven't performed to the level that they're accustomed to. But if you can generate some pressure, which I think is going to help make a major difference for the secondary, like that's a team that could make some noise and can outscore anybody. In the AFC, like they can go head to head with Kansas City, they can go head to head with Buffalo. Problem is, they're not going to stop either of those two teams. But all of a sudden, if you get a pass rush, that cornerback play and the play in the safety position is going to be much, much better. And now you're looking at a Dolphins team that is very, very dangerous offensively. 
from all different levels. Again, they're, they're going to be big underdogs, but 30 to one for a team that's fully all in, that's got a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. I really don't hate the play as far as the future goes. It's Ben Heisler. Find his work over at BetSided. You should be following him on Twitter if you're not doing so already. At Benny Heis. Ben, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, fellas. Let's, let's try to get a, a non-losing week out of you, BK. Yeah. Let's, let's see if we can fix this. That was a good one, Heis. Been, been, been trying that for a while. I'm <laughs> trying that for five weeks guys. and you can't do it. It's Ben Heisler here on 101 ESPN. You asked about the Super Bowl odds, Alex. I'll tell you my, my personal picks. I'm, I'm much better at these, I promise you guys, than I am at individual he games. He is, actually. We'll back that. Um, I like the 49ers and the Cowboys coming out of the NFC. I think there are three teams out of the NFC that can realistically win the Super Bowl this year. I think it's the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Cowboys. The Eagles are at five and a half to one. I don't think that's good enough odds for me to be willing to bet on them as a futures bet. The 49ers are 13 to one. The Cowboys are 14. I love the 49ers 13 to one. I like, I like both of those. Um, And in the AFC, if you're looking for somebody that's a long shot, I think he's right. I think it is the Dolphins at 28 to one because I think they can realistically win the Super Bowl this year with the path that the Bengals took last year of defense comes up with some big stops. Offense gets hot. You have a couple of wide receivers. that can win you a couple of games. I think those are probably the three teams that I would bet on 49ers, Cowboys, Dolphins. Where would you lean? I I would go with those two or at least those two. I'm not sure on the Dolphins, but uh, the 49ers, to me, I feel like that's a steal right now because I think I, I would have their odds probably closer to what the Kansas City Chiefs are rather than what they're sitting at right now for how awful that NFC is. And I think the 49ers right underneath the Philadelphia Eagles. So I like that one. Um, the one I brought up to him, and again, I think it's absurd to probably think, but I don't know. Part of me thinks about throwing $10 down on the Bears making the playoffs. Like I said, it seems a little absurd, but I mean... They've done. I'm they, out. They've gotten three wins with no offense, and now at least you put Chase Claypool out there with Justin Fields. The problem for me is their defense has taken such a massive step back, and it wasn't good to begin with, really. Coming up in 15 minutes. Speaking of defense, do the Cardinals need to acquire an outfielder this offseason, or is it okay to run it back with the players that they have in house? And that might mean moving at least one of them out there. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Believe it or not, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been somebody else. Believe walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a bear. Who could it be? T-Bone. Believe it or not, it's just me. I sang this to my youngest the other night when really? I was trying to put her to sleep because I couldn't think of anything else to sing oh, and this damn song amazing. came into my mind. To be honest, I had it stuck in my head last night too. <laughs> she, she, I had to listen to it. I was trying to get her to go to sleep and I'm like, I need to like do something and so I started singing this did, song. Did you play the T-Bone version or no? No, it's weird. She started screaming. 65780 is your card. involved with Believe It or Not. We're not getting into that right now. From the 636, guys, believe it or not, if it. Tanner won the $1.5 billion Powerball this weekend, <laughs> he would still show up to work on oh, Monday. Oh, uh, hell no. Oh, no, he's gone. Not going to believe that. T-Bone is going to blow that $1.5 billion in about a day. No, I, I would be retired. Where and, would you live? Where would I live? You have a billion dollars now. Where are you moving? 
Oh, I know I exactly where I'm going. Go, I think I know where you're going to say. I would either probably look to get like a cabin in the Smokies or I would go like to Florida on the we beach. We would never somewhere. hear from him again. He would be off the grid. Yeah, uh, I would turns into Griswold Adams. <laughs> I would totally disappear. Are you going to say uh, Charleston, South Carolina? No. Oh, I thought Michigan, that's what you're, you're thinking of the other. You're in the same spot. You just don't have the place right. Savannah, Michigan. Georgia. No, oh, Savannah, right. Georgia. Sorry. Michigan. Look, I love going to Michigan in the summer, but I'm not going somewhere where it's going to be icy. Is that what it is? Saga Tuck. Yeah. The other spot is 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 in Vegas, but not on the strip in Vegas, like outside of Vegas, like right around the, where the Vegas Golden Knights facilities are. We've drove past it before when I went, uh, I think it was a couple years ago. Live, right? Yeah. And I mean, they got some beautiful houses, but T-Bone's right. Savannah, Georgia is where I'm going. Uh, I'm going to New York. Of course he is. <laughs> You'll see me. He'll in blow the, the money in one, 1. Yeah. 1.5 billion in a day. Oh yeah. I'll have a penthouse in New York. You guys can come visit me. I'll be in the East Village. I can promise you if you go somewhere other than St. Louis, we will not be seeing each other. <laughs> <can't>. Touche. <laughs> 65780. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Is the air for sex? I thought we had a better friendship than that. Not after what you said during the commercial break. Uh, we will not be discussing. Believe it Jerk. or not, guys, the Cardinals are going to sign one of Judge Bogarts, Turner, or Correa. Believe it. Did you guys see what J.P. Morosi said the other day on MLB Network? <laughs> May and I now no, saw you act. You played that off as if you no, just didn't discover it. We no, gotta, man, we got to give the context to no, our man. listeners. What you don't think listeners like inside jokes? No. Yesterday, Alex sent us a text of a video in which JP Morosi said on MLB Network, "Nobody makes more sense for Xander Bogarts if he becomes available than the St. Louis Cardinals." And I, at first, I saw it. I was like, "Oh, that's." That makes a lot of sense. I agree. I saw that in the text chain. I went, that's not from today. I I'm, knew exactly I'm where sorry, that was from. I'm sorry, but click on it. Does it stand true or does it not stand true? It was from May 10th of this year when the Red Sox were why, out why, of it. Why do I need to see that text? Like, why do I need that tweet? Why does it pop up? Like, you know what, Elon Musk? Get your stuff together <laughs> right now. I don't need to see stuff from May. I need to see stuff currently, but it also holds true still. So right, I will back say. Back to the original question. I will Believe say it or I'm not, bet Judge, it. Bogarts, Turner, or Correa, one of them will be a Cardinal. I'll bet it. I'll believe it. I think that. I. <laughs> I believe it. I don't know if they're truly going to do it or not, but they should. And that's where my hesitation comes in is that they need to go get a superstar. They need an impact bat. Are they going to be willing to pay what it's going to cost for one of those guys? But I, I'll believe it. I think with uh, payroll increasing, I mean, we mentioned it. We were talking with Keith Law earlier. You know, if you're going to sign Brandon Nimmo, that's great. But I, it's hard for me to see how the payroll's increasing if you're building the offseason around Nimmo being the, pri- the number one guy. So I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe it as well. God, I hope they do. If I added Nimmo and Benintendi to the list, I would be shocked if they didn't end up with at least one of those. No, three more. Benintendi, Nimmo, and Contreras. I think you add those three to these four. So you've got Judge, Bogarts, Turner, Correa, and then the other three that I just mentioned. I think they're going to get one of those seven. I think they're going to get a, maybe you don't consider them to be elite, but one of the quote-unquote elite position players from this year's market. Or they trade for somebody that is the equivalent of one of those guys. I, oh, I think that will happen. Did you guys just see this from the 636? Apparently there's a clip out there that says the Cardinals are in on the Harper sweepstakes. I didn't even know he was available this offseason. That's phenomenal. Oh, wow. why, would, why would somebody say that while Phillies are going for a World Series I right they're now? they're in on Juan Soto, too. No, no ish? Yeah. <laughs> I heard they're in on Larry Walker. Damn, this that's is going to be a big... That's not funny, man. I know that that's not for, that's from a few years ago. Hey, Alex, there's this Mark Mulder guy. Yeah, I know I there's some questions good. about the shoulder, but Guys, yeah, that's I think not he's going to be that's from a while ago. Remember, Hazard getting Ozzy oh. Smith. <laughs> yeah.
That'd be phenomenal. <laughs> Nick and you, eh, I think you guys think Big Mac would got, be a good fit here. They got yeah. Ozzy. They got Ozzy Smith and uh, Mason Wynn, right, guys? No. Keith Lawson. No, Keith Lawson is not an outfielder. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text too. line can... for Believe It or Not, guys. I'm just not sure that Keith Hernandez is going to be here for the long haul. Uh, guys, believe it or not, the what Blues will give up fewer <laughs> than three goals tonight. I'll believe this one. I'll believe this one. I, I, the New York Islanders are a really good team, but they're a even better team defensively. Um, I, I think the Blues are going to be, they're going to tighten up in their own zone. I saw Rutherford uh, put the tweet out from Braden Chen earlier today and words, you know, they're just words unless you actually back it up. But he said, we're going to have a full effort tonight. Take pride in the D zone. Take pride in playing hard for your goaltender going line after line. I'm glad Baruby's going right back to Jordan Bennington after taking him out of that game um, against the LA Kings, which in my opinion was not his fault. I, I think that was kind of the tone setter and the eye opener for the players. So I- I'll believe this one. I'll believe it too. I think it's a two-one final score. Okay, Six I'm going a little bit more. I'm going. I'm not going that Six much, but two. I'm going four to two. I think they get an empty netter. I think it's basically a three-two final. I mean, they have to respond tonight. When your GM comes out and talks about the team the way he did and saying, you know, if we don't turn it around, it's going to have to be a re whatever. And your head coach has been calling you guys out in the during this five-game losing streak. And I understand the players have been saying all the right things. At some point you got to wake up, and if it ain't tonight, I don't know when it's truly going to be. They so, got to have it tonight. I, I think I think this is the game for them. I, th- I think they win it four two. I think they win six two tonight. I think that this is the n- moment that we've all been waiting for from this team. So your futures bets only work in the NFL, huh? That's right. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line to get involved in the show. Coming up next, do the Cardinals need? to acquire an outfielder this offseason, or can they run it back with the options that they have internally? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think they got a lot of depth in the outfield. I don't see a single addition. Um, a lot of young talent. that They all have high upsides. Dylan Carlson had one of the most disappointing seasons, but Tyler O'Neill, you have years of control. He's going to want to rebound after a disappointing 2022. Uh, they've got names everywhere. Brent Donovan's got to play somewhere. Lars Neupauer is playing. He's a spark leadoff guy. This is a team that's they've got a lot of depth, and in that spot, I do not see them signing anybody. That was Greg Amsinger on the opening drive. If you missed their conversation, check it out on the podcast page with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals' current options internally for their outfield going into next year. Dylan Carlson, Lars Newtbar, Tyler O'Neill, Juan Yepes, maybe Nolan Gorman if they decide to use him out there, Brendan Donovan, Jordan Walker. That is not including Alec Burleson, who got some opportunities out there this year as well. Ben Delugio technically got opportunities too. That's, that's nine different guys, Alex, internally that – could at least fit into the mix. Even if they're not going to be everyday players, they're going to be factors in that outfield's competition. I do understand where Greg Amsinger's coming from. Now, I think you're probably going to have to trade some of this this depth because going into the season, I don't think this is the best use of your resources, having a bunch of these guys down in AAA and maybe some of the others not playing at all when they have value in the trade market. But could you could you envision a scenario where the Cardinals, instead of going out and signing a Conforto, instead of signing Benintendi or Nimmo or any of these guys that we've talked so much about, they just count on their internal, young, cheap, cost-controlled players to produce like a Nimmo or a Benintendi or a 
Jock Peterson or whoever the guy is that you want them to sign. Yeah, I don't think there's any point in wasting time in the offseason and looking at these middle-of-the-pack outfielders because you've got a ton of these guys. Like, I agree with Keith Law. Nolan Gorman is a Jock Peterson. I, I I view Dylan Carlson as the guy that's going to be able to rebound for you. I don't know if I view Lars Newtbar as an everyday outfielder, but I think he's a perfectly capable fourth outfielder and a guy who can, in the temporary, fill that void when, until Jordan Walker's ready. And, you know, I don't know about Tyler O'Neill right now, but Tyler O'Neill, if he's on my team, he's going to be in the outfield. And if he's not healthy, well, then that's where the depth comes into play here with the Burlesons and the Juan Yepeses and wherever you decide to go with this. If there's a guy sitting prior to spring training like a Michael Conforto or a Jock Peterson and you could get them on a, a team-friendly deal, then I'd go into it and say, you know what, it doesn't hurt to have an extra. But I'm not spending any time this offseason going after one of these guys. I think there are a few guys that fit into the mix of, like, I would rather keep Tyler O'Neill and run it back with him than, for example, probably, it, and, and this depends, what what the trade value is for O'Neill is a big part of this conversation because if O'Neill still for some teams has significant value on the trade market, then you probably are best using him as a resource in a trade. But if he doesn't have that value anymore in a trade, he probably has more value internally to you to just run it back with him. And I could see them running it back with him as opposed to signing a Conforto or a Brandon Nemo or a Joey Gallo or an Adam Duvall, all of which have had injury histories in their past. I would just probably run it back with Tyler O'Neill in left field. You know he's a gold glove potential defensive player in left field. And if he hits like he did two years ago, he's an MVP candidate. So I could understand that. I, I think where it gets tough is you need certainty somewhere. And if you're not going to go get that shortstop, if you're not going to get a Contreras behind the plate, well, then I think you're almost pushed to signing somebody for your outfield because you need to add certainty in some area of your team. I, I think it really is. I would be okay with them running it back with the outfield as long as they make that big splash somewhere else. But that big splash is a prerequisite if you're not going to add you out have there. To have another, you have to have the third bat before you get there. Yeah, that, that's where I am. If, if you don't land one of the shortstops and you're not going to sign Wilson Contreras, you need to add somebody to that outfield mix. And that probably is Brandon Immo or Andrew Benintendi. Those are probably the two guys that would be the number one target. I know I've seen a lot of the texts today saying, well, you know, Nimmo's kind of the same as O'Neill. He has the same injury history. I get it, but I think you need to look for something that's just new. And and that's not really a – I hate to say it, but it sounds kind of like a shot against O'Neal. It's not, but I just don't know what I'm getting from Tyler O'Neal. Tyler O'Neal has been a roller coaster ever since day one. Either he's not hitting or he's not healthy, and he can't be hitting when he's not healthy, and he's only put together one really good year. Like That's that the difference a- between the two. That's where I do think it's different. Brandon Nimmo every year has contributed, and he's been very productive – He's just had the injury issues. Tyler O'Neill is both. He's either been unhealthy and not hitting, or like it, it, it's been a combination of the two. He's not hitting and he's unhealthy. Nimmo's the opposite. Nimmo's always productive. He's just not healthy. And, and it's why I almost still lean, even if they make one offseason move where it's, let's say it's not the shortstop, let's say they add Wilson Contreras. I still think they need an outfielder. This outfield has too many questions. I'm not. I. I must be like the lowest person on Lars Newtbar in the world, and I'm sorry, Lars, but Lars, I agree with what Alex said. To me, he's a fourth outfielder, and he's just kind of a stopgap guy for me until Walker's ready. But with that being said, I don't know if he can be the stopgap guy for two months. I really only saw it for a month this year out of Lars Newtbar, and I'm assu- I said two months because I'm assuming that's what it's going to take for Walker to get up here. It may take till August till Jordan Walker's ready to be up in the big league level. I just don't know. Dylan Carlson, 
I truly don't know what I have in Dylan Carlson. He's good against left-handers. Can he improve to be an everyday guy and hit against right-handed pitching? I don't know. Tyler O'Neill, we just talked about him. I don't know what I'm getting from Tyler O'Neill. I think his MVP caliber season two years ago was just a blip on the radar, and I'm not sure he'll ever get back to being that kind of a guy. That's why I think no matter what, they probably unless you add a shortstop and add Contreras at the catcher position, I think they need an outfielder. I think it probably needs to be someone like Brandon Nimmo or Andrew Benintendi. I don't want Conforto just because he's coming off shoulder injuries, and I've seen how that can affect hitters at the plate. Look at Cody Bellinger for an example of that. Uh, otherwise, Jack Peterson. Jack Peterson's good. He's brought in. I'm not really leaning towards him being the impact bat. I think he's good. He's more of a platoon guy like I'm talking about with Dylan Carlson. I'm looking for a guy that I know is going to be playing every day. The difference between Jack Peterson, though, and Carlson is that Peterson hits from the left side, and so he hits well against righties. And so 70% of the time you could have him in there. And In fact, you could make an argument that Peterson would be a perfect platoon guy with Dylan Carlson, where you're kind of protecting yourself I, from that being an, an issue for him. And I know most said that when they had the end-of-season presser. He said, we're looking for someone that we don't end up uh, falling into the spot where we're in May, and it's like, okay, we don't have that backup plan for Dylan Carlson. Most said that in his end-of-season presser. I want a guy that's an everyday player, though. I, I, I want a guy that's going to hit against righties and lefties, and we had Keith Law, and you heard him talk about how uh, Brandon Nimmo's gotten better against left-handed pitching. I think Brandon Nimmo screams, hey, that should be one of our biggest targets this offseason. And I know there's going to be a bidding war for him, and sure, you're probably going to pay a little more than you really wanted to because of his market, because he's the second-best outfielder on the market. To me, he just seems like a fit here in St. Louis because when, if he's healthy, I know what I'm getting Here's from Here's a question him. for you. Brandon Nimmo or Dansby Swanson? Let's say they end up getting similar, if not the exact same, on an average annual basis, like twenty-two to twenty-five million dollars per year, five or six-year deal. Who would you rather have? You get to have one. They're both interested in coming to St. Louis. You either get that center fielder, left-handed bat, it's going to come in, and when healthy, he produces about thirty percent above league average offense. Or Dansby Sonson, who's ten percent above league average offensively, but he's very good defensively, and he's going to lock down your shortstop position for the next five years which of those two would you rather have i mean the answer is brandon nimmo but i i in that scenario i don't think you're having a successful offseason i i i I mean i understand the sentiment of needing an outfielder right now at least what you guys feel because of the uncertainty of tyler o'neill and Lars newtbar not being the everyday guy but in my world i'm getting this big bat at shortstop so i just need defense in the outfield because i'm not relying on those three to be a big bat i'm relying on those pieces to be complementary pieces and i'm also relying on the defense to be above average for me and if tyler o'neill's not healthy well then that's where the problems come into play but i if that's my scenario i i just i think it's an unsuccessful offseason brandon nimmo to me screams like Steven Matz. They sign him, and that's their offseason. And then they'll add a couple of pieces here. And I think that's a loss for this Cardinals team if they do that. I think Brandon Nimmo would be like last year signing Carlos Rodon, for what it's worth. And I'm not saying that the success would be there the way that it was with Rodon. We didn't know at the time what his future was going to hold. Rodon was a guy where there was a lot of injury history there. But you knew if he was healthy, what you saw last year from him with the Giants, that was always in play for him. Brandon Nimmo is the same thing. If he's healthy this year, I'm pretty confident that wherever he goes, he's going to be a very productive player. I just can't guarantee you at all that that health is going to be there for him. So I, instead of being the Steven Matz, I, I would actually lean towards him having the upside of like a Carlos Rodon pitching wise. I just don't trust it. I don't trust it. And I think that's if fair. that's their offseason, I think you're going to be talking about another bounce from the World Series or wild card because you didn't upgrade the area that you absolutely needed to upgrade. I think if it comes down to Nimmo or Swanson, I would say... I would go. I would lean towards Nimmo because I I do think the outfield is a need for this team this offseason. 
Now, the shortstop position, it feels kind of like a want, which feels weird to say, because I think they can get away with it. If, if they build the offseason right, they can get away with an infield. like starting pitching. If you want to upgrade, it has to come with a real star at the position. Agreed. And Because and, I think if you get Nimmo, you get Contreras, maybe you get a bullpen arm, like, would it be like an A-plus offseason? Probably not, but it's a really good offseason still, I think. And that's where I say I think that shortstop position you can get away with and maybe not get somebody. You can get away with Edmund being your everyday shortstop, having Donovan and Gorman at second base. But as long as you upgrade elsewhere, I think they can get away with it. That's why I think, as weird as to say, I think shortstop is probably more of that want to your point on, yeah, if you're going to do it, go get that big guy. If not, I, I think they need to f- add somebody to this outfield that plays every day. And I just looked at Ben Attendee's splits against lefties. His OPS is down because he's not hitting for a lot of power, but he's still got a pretty good average against lefties. He gets on base as a good clip. So him or Nimmo would probably be the outfielders I would target. Coming up on the other side, I want to continue this conversation a little bit. What is the offseason that you feel like most Cardinals fans would feel good about that would leave you feeling completely unfulfilled? For me, you guys know that includes Dansby Swanson, but who are those players for you that you think most Cardinals fans are liking? But man, when you think about it, you're like, that just that does nothing for me. We'll talk about that next as we wrap things up with the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Show. Be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I think that there was a great conversation earlier with Keith Law where we were talking about what the offseason should hold for the Cardinals. He basically said, boomer bust. Go, go get that elite level talent. He also liked the idea of a Brandon Nimmo. I know for a lot of you, though, Brandon Nimmo is the exact player that comes to mind when I ask the question, what is the offseason target? That would leave most fans feeling good, but would leave you feeling completely unfulfilled. If you're somebody that says, when I when I ask that question, Brandon Nimmo, that's the name, I get it. For me, it's Dansby Swanson. I, I think that a lot of these guys, though, have the same criteria. I think Cardinals fans are done with the team targeting that second or third tier in free agency. So we're talking about Benintendi, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Christian Vasquez as a... Uh, as a catching option, going out into the, for me, shortstop market and getting a Dansby Swanson, the outfield market, jerks and Profar. Uh, I think you could put like an Adam Duvall into this mix as well. Uh, those are guys that just this offseason, given what the Cardinals already have internally, they, they don't do much for me. I would rather see them sign the elite level player at those respective positions or just sit out of the market entirely. Alex, who is the guy that comes to mind for you? The guy that most Cardinals fans you think probably feel good about? but would leave you feeling unfulfilled if they were signed here in St. Louis. Man, I think it probably would be Dansby Swanson. I, I I think a lot of fans are on my side on the brain of Nimmo, which is why I can't really use him here because I think a lot of people are underwhelmed by Nim, underwhelmed by Nimmo, and I might be in the wrong there. But I think it's Dansby Swanson. I think another area, and I don't have a name to go on to it, but I think if they prioritize pitching in the offseason, I think that's going to be underwhelming for me. Even if you go out there and get a stud, like you go out there and acquire a Shane Bieber, or for some odd reason they sign Jacob DeGrom, it's exciting, but you didn't address your biggest problem, and it's offense. And so I think that would be underwhelming too. I think it'd be underwhelming if Swanson or like, 
Nimmo or Benintendi are like the big acquisition because like Swanson's a good player. I don't think he's worth the contract he's probably going to get, but he's a good player. But he shouldn't be the, all right, the offense is fixed thanks to Dansby Swanson. It shouldn't be, hey, the offense is fixed because Brandon Nimmo or Andrew Benintendi. Those guys are still complementary pieces in my mind. Like Nimmo makes sense because I think they need an outfielder. He makes sense to bring in as long as there's someone else being brought in as well. Someone like Contreras maybe is brought in to be the impact bat if you view him that way, or it is one of those shortstops is brought in to be the impact bat like Bogarts, like Turner, or Correa, someone like that. But I, How would you feel about an offseason that's like basically this is it, but it's Swanson and Benintendi are your two additions that you make this offseason. So you got an outfielder, you got your shortstop, and then you probably – I, I, you would have to do some house cleaning, cleaning of trading somebody. So maybe that's how you get your catcher. But let's say those are the two big additions that you make. I, I think that's a disappointing off season. I'd be I, underwhelmed. Yeah. I did you address getting an impact bat? In my opinion, not really. I don't. I don't think Swanson's really that guy. He's a good hitter, but again, he's more of a complimentary piece, and Ben Attendee's more of a complimentary piece. There's no impact bat that's been brought in. Like I hear those names, and I go, okay, Ben Attendee's probably hitting leadoff. And then Swanson's probably should be hitting fifth. The problem is, is I don't know if he would be. He'd probably be hitting second. I think he'd probably have Donovan one. Fourth, and maybe. I think Benintendi would probably be batting second and Swanson fifth. Yeah, like to me, that's complimentary pieces that were brought in. I think you need the impact bat plus a complimentary piece, not two complimentary pieces. Yeah, I, That's how I would feel about it as well. I, I think that I understand the mindset that could get you to that kind of an offseason, I just when when we get to Swanson and I, there's somebody on the text line that says this right now from the three one four guys I don't understand the dislike of Swanson his wins above replacement last year was five point seven and he hit twenty five home runs with ninety six RBIs I hear you Dansby Swanson for me it, maybe it is a blind spot but prior to this past season he had been a league average shortstop for his entire career his OPS plus by year since becoming a regular in the big leagues was 68 87 89 111 in a 60 game season and 99 that's not a guy that I look at as a significant upgrade for you offensively defensively he's he's really good but he's 29 years old he's going to cost you 25 million dollars per year if you're going that route I would just go get one of the other three guys just spend the extra $5 million per season for a guy that is a clear upgrade offensively over what Dansby Swanson had been his entire career prior to one breakout season in a walk year. We know that this has happened before, and then some of those guys revert back to who they were previously. Look at what Texas did last offseason. They brought in, what's his face, the shortstop that's Marcus playing second Simeon. for him. He feels very Marcus Simeon-like to me. It's not as old as Simeon was, but that would be my fear, is that you sign a guy who had a breakout season, and then you get more of the career norms for him. So for me, that is my underwhelming addition going into the offseason. For Alex Ferrario, who's going to be out tomorrow, we'll have Jeremy Rutherford filling in, coming off of a big Blues game tonight. Alex will have pregame coverage for that starting at 6 o'clock. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN. Nailed a door to the roof, ripped a rec- uh, uh, You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. 
New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.